<laughs> You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Continues its adventure. Digital Noise chapter. I believe this is two ninety nine. Really? Yeah. I'm oh, not. I'm not wait, sure. Wait, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to be on three hundred. It doesn't appear so. You can <sighs> make a joke about Sparta now if you want. I though. wanted to. I yeah. was like, Digital Noise. <laughs> we dine in some of this is hell. hell? Surf yeah, Nazi hell. hell. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're going to agree on more than we don't this week. I suspect. Uh, it's good for us too because usually we. Wildly disagree. Do we? we? Oh yeah, every single time. And yeah, I don't know if that's all true. the people who reach out to me is like, right? You're often very correct in your you know, opinions. Yeah. Oh yeah. That? Oh yeah. They just yeah. DM me and okay. uh, and you. I'm like, no, uh, they I do tr- what? Well, they don't. They don't say anything to you about like, it. Okay, you go into an episode of Digital Noise. Hold on. Uh, roll. Uh, do a savings throw. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of DM. No, no. <laughs> I think the proper term is GM these days, anyway. So oh, is it game master as opposed to dungeon master? Because now it's not just Dungeons and Dragons and okay. stuff like that. Because you can play games with like you know, you guys. You can, you can reach out to me and, and say like, why is Chris talking about this nerdy I, shit? I, I'm gonna tell you, I got for Christmas though. Uh, I've been looking for this forever. It was out of print for a while. This role playing game called Dread. It's you this, told me about this. It's yeah, the yeah, scariest game ever made and all you need is the one book it doesn't require dice or anything you just need the book and somebody willing to put the time in ahead of time to design the, the adventure basically right. but instead of dice or whatever it just uses the jenga tower so the gm decides at points in the story if you're like make a decision to do something based on your character and the, your character aspects like how hard that would be mm. And then decides if you need to pull one or two or three or four sticks to do it. And if you if the tower ever falls, it's a massive fail. <laughs> it, like do your your character like dies. It's situational. It's situational. Yeah, it's based okay. on what the GM thinks generally, but it could be something else entirely. You know what uh, they should come up with is a uh, some sort of role playing game for uh, Coen Brothers uh, movies. There because... is a Coen Brothers mo- movie game. Is it for Fargo? Yeah. No not, shit. I mean, it's not. It was originally designed specifically for Fargo. I think when the guy Jason Morningstar who designed it first, yeah. first did it, and now I'm blanking on the name. I fucking forget. We, we've even played it on episodes in the past on this on this oh, channel. No shit. But uh, yeah, no. The whole idea was like it's like playing a Coen Brothers type uh, adventure that's all Which character is very based, tense, and they, anyone can die at any moment. That is the best general 
theme role-playing game ever made. It's for people like you and me and our listeners who are like, I watch a shit ton of movies and I'm like yeah, really yeah. into like the idea of like developed characters and plots and I know how people behave and genre stuff. And so it's like you can do everything in there from like a slasher movie to like a detective mystery to like a oh, one time we did one that was like a rock and roll bio pick type really thing. yeah and it was so much fun <laughs> okay i'm down with that stuff that yeah. sounds pretty fun anyway but we're here for digital noise talk about movies that came out and you know you were trying to segue Thank i you. was trying but uh, then you were like no it actually is one I was like oh fuck you're like god, god damn it of course they're fucking everyone yes. just dm me and says like right can you just you know do a better job uh, of controlling this fucking thing okay like, right make try. a savings though against chris <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so the reason we he was trying to segue is because the first film we're talking about this week is Miller's Crossing, the third Coen Brothers film after First Blood, the magnificent, and boy, what a shot across the bow, Blood Simple was. And then following up with, I st- still think one of the top 10 comedies ever made, Raising Arizona. Mm. And so they're like, we're going to do something even more completely different, which is still overturned in noir as Blood Simple was, but a completely different type of noir where it's sort of like a, even even though most gangster films, at least modern day gangster films, I wouldn't say are necessarily noir. That's more sort of like the early days of gangster films. Yeah, were. yeah, yeah. Uh, this is like somewhere in between those two genres. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't as well received as people imagine when no, it came it's, out i think a lot of people went oh, i don't get it that and um yeah this is now like with hindsight it's it's regarded as like one of their best ones and yeah i still by many by many and i still think that uh it, it's not the top i mean they have a lot of movies now too but yeah. like i don't know if it's like in the top like five for me because re-watching this and i i loved it watching it uh and just discovering in like my 20s i'm like holy shit they did a gangster movie and watching it, I don't think I really appreciated it at the time. And now I appreciate it more, but I still think like, yeah, I I get it. I get yeah. it. And because uh, it's it's shot beautifully well. Also, fuck the Coen brothers. This is their third movie. And they and just like, they knew what to do from the get go. Fuck you. Okay? These guys were like born it with filmmaking in their DNA. Yeah. You just, know? Or even watch like Blood Simple is like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and like, this is your first movie? Fuck you. Yeah. And thinking about like... That happens. It happens. Like Steven Soderbergh won the Palme d'Or at 27. Hell, we were talking at uh during our South by Southwest reviews uh, yeah. about the movie Cha-Cha Real Smooth and the director of that, Cooper Ray. Second Rafe, movie. Where you're like... Dude, how are you're like twenty something and you're making shit like this? Like, yeah. Oh my god, go fuck yourself. Seriously. It's, yeah. Anyone <laughs> who's good at something, go fuck yourself. Yeah. If you're great at something and you're gonna be successful at it, you know what? I hope you burn in hell. Yeah. So like, Chris, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I am the king of mediocrity. <laughs> Nobody hates me because I am just so low on the ladder. They're more like I pity him, and you know what? I'll take your pity dollars. It's fine. <laughs> Anyway, so the story here follows Gabriel Byrne, a young, sexy Gabriel Byrne back in the day. Uh, Tom Reagan, who's yeah. the, the right-hand guy for an Irish mobster, Leo O'Bannon, played by the legendary actor Albert Finney. Mm-hmm. And he's like the one guy that Leo, who's the boss of this Irish gang who kind of is running the city during Prohibition in 1929. Yeah. He's the one guy that no matter what he listens to. He's like he, he is like the what what is it in Game of Thrones the like uh, the hand oh yeah yeah is that what they're called uh, yeah the the hand yeah yeah, yeah. He's the like, hand he is the him. hand right and so it's during Prohibition and uh, Leo has a rival this Italian gangster the best role 
that John Polito ever played in his entire career, a Johnny Casper. <sighs> Man, I love him so much. He's great, but this is definitely his most high profile, most like, oh, this, you get the most amount of character and screen time in this film. Yes, yeah. Because most of the time he's just a character actor. And I mean, like, even in some of the other Coen Brothers movies, like in Barton Fink, he's just like that low-level employee of um, the big producer guy. Right. And he's just like, you know, like, okay, I'll go in. Well, he's a guy who comes in for like one or two scenes and yeah. has like a point where he looks like he's about to have a heart attack because he's screaming a lot and that's Man, about it. That's And, and he often does, that, does have a heart attack. Yeah, and in this, he is doing that like full tilt every <laughs> yeah. single scene. Well, he comes in going, look, you know, he's like, I need a meeting. I, I want to kill this bookie, Bernie Birnbaum, who I think is like totally fucking us up everybody over but he's apparently protected by you guys uh the person in question we don't see him till a little later in the film but played by john Turturro. um but the problem is that leo is dating bernie's sister uh, who is played by a very young and sexy marcia gay hard and she's also dating leo yeah well, or she's also dating uh tom and, and but yeah both well, that's oh, what i'm saying oh like, sorry, that's yeah, why yeah, leo yeah. is like I, I can't help you man but, yeah yeah but, and tom is and tom is like Dude, you should fucking kill this guy because uh, I don't think you realize how badly you're fucking up. This guy is way more powerful than you're giving him credit for and you're kind of treating him like shit. Yeah. And this is the beginning of everything breaking down. And yeah. And it is sort of a fall of the House of Cards movie, although it's largely really just following Tom, Gabriel Byrne, as he is kind of trying to play both sides against the middle the whole time here. Yeah, he does. And he it's just all these like double crosses back and forth trying to figure out like it's it, watching it again. It's really fun to see his mind work and him trying to figure out like what is the next step because he's playing chess while like Leo and um, uh, Casper are playing like checkers. Yeah. And they're just like, well, we just move this piece and we just destroy this and right. then where we get the cops on our side and that's it. He's, and he's, he's both the smartest guy in the room, but also someone who's. Deep in the depths of alcoholism and, and debt and debt and gambling and, like, debt, and yeah. making terrible decisions and just like his life is fucked, but just nobody knows it yet. But <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, quite the paradox of a character because yeah. you would think that like he would be smart enough not to do some of these foolish things of just like, again, the alcoholism and drinking too much and spending too much money and gambling and, you know, these things catching up with him. But at the same time, he is playing everyone like a fiddle. Yeah, I assumed he was Kaiser Sose. From the beginning. I was wrong, <laughs> as it turned out. This is the prequel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. his great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, that was not, in fact, Gabriel Byrne in that movie. Right. So, <laughs> that was that other guy we don't talk about. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. It's it's, it's uh, Voldemort. You don't say his name. Yeah. Uh, can, we, can we, like, uh, deepfake somebody cool in that role now? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Anyway, this is Criterion putting in the sound, mm -hmm. and I was super excited because... Miller's Crossing is actually one of their films that I did not have in my collection. I hadn't mm -hmm. seen it in a really long time. I was very excited to come back and rewatch it because I don't think I had actually seen this since it was in the theater. And you're that old. And I am that old. I just came out in 1990. I was six. I was 20. Christ, you're old. <laughs> I mean, 20... <laughs> thousand <laughs> you're one of the ancient ones the, wow uh, the <laughs> you're the one who woke me from my sleeping bed now all of humanity must like cringe but what this what this gives me hope for is that more and more coen brothers are going to be on criterion yeah. Yeah. like barton fink needs to come out in criterion like pronto uh, uh, Bart, well they just did a re-release of it not that long ago but i can't remember who actually put it out mm. I'll, I'll look it up right now because i remember we rewatched it for the show not we we but like uh it was uh 2017 
there was a Blu-ray release that was Kino Lorber. That was actually an excellent release. Oh, it. really? Yeah, with lots of bonus features. Really, really, really good release of it. Okay. But nonetheless, we're like, there's something that we, had, you know, it's one of those things like, like I, it doesn't matter if the other version exists. If it's got the Criterion label, you're just, there's something fancy about it. It's it. fancy and it's super pretentious. And yeah, just, it's super and pretentious. It's, it's one of the few things that give us film geeks that we just want that. Because if, you're, if yeah. you're on Criterion, you made it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot for Criterion put out some stuff that was that I think is garbage. Oh, sure. But but now I, it's hot, crazy good because garbage. Sometimes, sometimes they put out some pretty pretentious choices, I'm oh, just yeah. going to say. And I hate even using that word, but god damn, some of the choices like, fuck, come on, guys, really? Yeah, <laughs> it is. But at the same time, like, I, and I love that, like, it, at least in the film world and, like, direct, it's it's a it's a media medium to really highlight directors yeah. and uh, not necessarily actors too much, but really just highlight the career of directors like yeah that sounds great because it's you know for us it's not until like maybe my early 20s when i really started to understand and just follow directors rather than just like oh cool yeah he won an academy award best actor yeah. that's so great your 20s is when you follow your directors your 40s is when you follow writers <laughs> right when you're like wait a minute I think this might actually a lot of the time have more to do with the person who wrote the film. Nah, writers have nothing to do. Just so, yeah, well, you should be a producer in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the next next Robert Evans. These guys are like not even allowed on set. You're right. You know? Which is crazy. <laughs> I, like, I literally conceived of everything in this film. They're like, who are you again? No. I'm sorry, you're not on the list. Poor, poor writers. I know. Anyway, there is a as you would imagine in a Criterion edition, there's a lot of bonus features here. There's a brand new program called Hard Boiled, the Cohen Brothers and Megan Abbott, where they discuss their love of film noir with author Megan Abbott. Uh, brand, brand new produced for this edition. There's another new program called The Actors, with, uh, which is really great with Gabriel Byrne and John Turturro. Mm -hmm. We're called going back and remembering their experiences like, you know, like making this film. Uh, once again with Megan Abbott the music brand new program with the composer Carter Burwell which god this has got such great scores it's mm -hmm. amazing and the music editor uh, talk about how they got involved and the use of the music in it there's a new program called The Look director of photography Barry Sonnenfeld mm -hmm. who in his own right is a pretty big director talks about his career and how he got involved with the Coen brothers and yada yada the design another new program with production designer Dennis Gassner and boy did they get the whole look and time and everything dead on here it's just yeah. beautifully designed with that the costumes in this movie are just incredible oh yeah yeah it, and the sets and everything yeah yeah and and it's funny i remember watching it again and i was like oh wow this takes place in just like four places really mm -hmm. like it's the club it's the uh leo's office gabriel burns or tom's uh apartment uh, and Miller's Crossing, yeah, the woods, yeah, in the woods, and yeah. that's like it. That's pretty. That's the large, yeah, largest part of it. Uh, there's also from the archives, which is just archival interviews from the, the original release of this with the actors involved here, and then a illustrated leaflet with a critic Glenn Kenny's essay, "Marvelous Americans," and the technical credits. But yeah, this is totally solid. If you've e either a never seen Miller's Crossing. I mean, come on. This is like a, a checklist movie. You should like go like you, you need to mark this off your list and get it. Uh, or B, it's just been a long time since you've seen it. And you yeah. kind of forgot how good this really is. Yeah. It's funny because there are some critics who always were like, I think this is one of the lesser Cohen Brothers films. And when it first came out, I was not as crazy about it as I am now. Watching it now, I'm like, I got so much more out of it now than I did when I saw it in my 20s. Yeah, I, I definitely got a lot more out of it seeing it again. Um, I, I still think, I mean, there's. 
there's I, I like more of the Coen Brothers like cerebral movies. Like I'm a serious man, Barton Frank fan kind of I mean, guy. Barton Frank is one of my all time favorites. Serious yeah. man, it's fine. I love that movie. It's and fine. but then again, I love some of their more like I mean, No Country is probably like oh, No man. Country is one of their best movies until it isn't. I would highly disagree with you. I think it is perfect back to back. I am gonna I'm gonna play this card right. Ooh, I read the book. I've started to read it and you it is, started to read it. Yeah, and it is that does it not is, count. I know, I know, I know. I like I got it to when like Llewellyn was uh, dr- uh, running away from the 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 Mexicans who were hunting him down after he just got the the cash. I was right, like, right. And I was I remember reading it. I was like, Jesus Christ! Like the Coen Brothers did this in like forty five seconds, well, and this is taking pages. They have uh, there's an a uh, communication issue. I feel like in the movie where oops, sorry about that where the it, the narrator in the book is doing certain things in a way that's essential for it to be from the voice of the narrator. Yeah. And it doesn't work without it coming from that point where you realize it's all spoken coming from this one point of view. In the movie, they kind of eliminate that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes the ending like going, what the fuck just happened? Like, like very like, well, you know, we just decided not to end it is what the movie feels like. It's just there is no ending. Don't worry about it. Go home, everybody. It's over. And and the bu- in the book, it totally makes sense. You're like, oh, this this fits. I don't know. That's me. Anyway, we're not going to argue about that. We're going to move on to our next <laughs> film, which is The Matrix Resurrections now oh. out on 4K and Blu-ray. Ugh. Look, the, we were I think you were on the review with this for me, I was right? not. Oh, were you not? I saw this you on my own volition. Oh. No, 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 no. I saw that when it came out on HBO Max, which, mm. by the way. Last year, what a, a beautiful time for movies to also not only be released in movie theaters, but also on HBO Max. I was like, this is fantastic because if I knew I wasn't going to be on the review yeah. and I didn't want to pay You'd money to see, to see it, it yeah. I'm like, oh. I mean, I'll, I'll check out Resurrections, I guess. No, I mean, there were movies I was, like, really glad that... Because all those films, they also did press screenings for last year, which yeah. is kind of being... Like, a lot of stuff they were not doing press screenings at all for because they were still... The company's nervous about shit. But yeah. uh, Warner Brothers was one of the first companies to go, like, fuck it, we're going to do them. But press-only screenings, yeah, which are yeah. the best, where you're like, there's 12 people in a it's, giant theater. It's and great. Like, nobody's talking. Nobody's fucking, like... You don't have to worry about any kid kicking their seat because they're bored, <laughs> you know? Anyway, but because I remember when we were seeing something else, and uh, and you came up to me and you're like, or I asked you, like, oh wait, did you see Resurrections? And I think your eyes literally rolled out of your skull, and I was like, oh no, really? Because there was a, I think we all had this. There was a glimmer of hope that it was actually going to be good. Of course it was, because we never want any movie to be bad. We just have a good feeling it's going to be bad. The Wachowskis are a pair of writer directors that started their career like we were talking about earlier with like those people you're like fuck you how dare you bound that good? out of the with gates bound out of the gates you're like this is a masterpiece of neo-noir that it's, needs to be on criterion it's astonishingly good film. i love that movie oh it's so great and it's so sexy and it's so like good, like shocking and, and just joe like, pantoliano yeah. oh my joey God. pants we love oh, joey pants he's so good but that's part of the reason joey pants showed up in the matrix which again like I don't care if you're one of those weird people that's decided, yeah, the Matrix is overrated. I mean, you're wrong. It's not. No. The Matrix was a game changer like Star Wars was a game changer. It really was, yeah. It, it totally changed the way that we looked at what American audiences would be interested in and the way we tell science fiction stories. I mean, certainly not the first film to incorporate Philip K. Dick type themes into it, but it was the first to... I thought it was one of the first to really go, we're going to assume our audience isn't stupid. Mm-hmm. 
And that was so refreshing alone. It was because it, it, it knew that you knew the hero's journey already. And um, you've been, you know, watching a ton of other stuff that you just didn't know that it had any kind of um, uh, uh, references to anything else like Philip K. Dick or whatever. And then it was like, yeah. And it and decidedly, it's a good that it's a rated R movie still, even though it's not really bloody. Um, no. But there are some pretty heavy moments when you're just like, if it was a PG-13 movie, you're just like, oh, Jesus, that's like kind of fucked up. I guess the idea someone took like all these books by William Gibson yeah. and stuff like that and mixed that with the experience of watching Hong Kong movies in the, in the eighties and nineties. And, yeah. and, and like, you're like, these guys have watched a lot of Jet Li and stuff like that. Like, yeah. what if we fused these things together, but did it in a way where it all, the plot explains it. There's a reason this is happening right. and made it a fish out of water story because Keanu Reeves is always at his best when he has no idea what's going on. Whoa. When he's the guy going, Whoa, he's, you know, I mean like every great Keanu Reeves movie is the one where he's like, Huh? He doesn't know what's going yeah, on. But, but the, it's like also he's like, by the way, you're the you're the key. But the two Matrix sequels, he's both like, okay, I get it now. Now let me explain it to you. And you're like, no, this doesn't work. If Keanu Reeves knows what's going on. It's true, and and I I still have a slight affinity for the two sequels because like I think Reloaded is actually not as bad as if people remember because like some of the actions parts parts of it is the the highway sequence I think is incredible, and and then Resurrections. I thought that the Wachowskis just saw like a ton of anime right beforehand. Like, let's go balls to the wall crazy with it. And like they're flying out and like the rain and they're hitting each other like crazy. Like, I dig this in the regard. It's one of the problems with the third one is just that that anime influence is kind of a complete tonal change for the series in many ways. It is. Yeah. And you're just like, what's happening? Why is this happening this way now? Right. Like the second movie gets is constant Moisha the explainer. Like it's just. (laughs) constant it's just one exposition character after another doing super exposition because they were like well you know now we need to explain all the stuff that we just hinted at in the first film here's the thing mystery can be good mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not totally understanding what's going on and having your own fan ideas of things are actually really good and when you go in and go back and you're like well now let's explain all the tenuous connections between things no it doesn't like when they get to the the, what, what's the architect it? the architect oh, that scene man. is so fucking dull and just like really okay can we just get past this and have people beat people up again or well something? they just thought it was going to be super intense because they it was a man who was speaking English where no one knew what he was talking about. <laughs> it's so unfortunate now because when you rewatch it, you're like, okay, I still, I understand a follow. It's just like, he's just being a pretentious prick about so this. I just want to say, I know that when you're in the matrix, you kind of like whatever your self visualization is in your head of yourself is like what you look like. And so literally everybody has the same idea of like what's cool at this point like they all have this like well our glasses have to be weird and impractical first off yeah <laughs> like i still to this day do not know how morpheus put puts on those sunglasses yeah, right it, it makes no sense they tried to make those and market them and they couldn't figure it out yeah, yeah. they were like we, we can't we can't well, they, get the they didn't realize that Lawrence Fishburne just had this little crease spirit in his gu- well, yeah. Yeah, spirit gum. Oh, that, that too. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so after all these years, they were like, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to do uh, a, pro- a new sequel. And I know I, like everybody, was like both tenuously excited. I, like, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want you to fix it. 
It was like the way I felt about the new season of Dexter. It's like, uh, I'm very... Are they doing another se- no, 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 season No, 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 they did one. Oh, I know, but yeah. they're doing another one of New Blood. Oh, which, oh, season two of New Blood. I presume will follow the sun, but, you know, anyway. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't care about that yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, unless they're... I don't know. We're not going to get into that. But, but it was like that actually saved the series. That did exactly what I was hoping, where it was like, oh, shit, you did it. You, you made me forget about the last three terrible seasons, and you actually gave us the ending we always wanted. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking the same thing with The Matrix Resurrections. I'm going like, you know, this might be the one where I mean, you're like, this is where we need to go. And it started strong. It did. And and, and the trailer sold it to Helen back. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm digging this a little bit. This is actually kind of And they went cool. to back to, like, you know, the thing, I'm hardly the first person to say it Keanu works best when he doesn't know what the fuck's going on and they're like what if we do that again and have him not know what the fuck he's going on the problem is is that okay now this is only one of the directors Lena this is Lena Wachowski yeah she uh came in and uh her sister was like I I just I don't know what her words were but I'm not interested I'm not doing it it's all you yeah it was like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to make it really meta. And the idea like, okay, why is Neo alive again? And he's obviously in the Matrix. And he is the programmer of a video game called The Matrix. It's like a bit widely celebrated. And like, so he knows everything that happened in The Matrix story. But as in his head, he's the writer of it. You're like, okay, that's a cool setup. Where are we going here? But then the moment they, like, way too early on, I mean, the film launches with it, it establishes too early that, no, there actually is something happening here. Like, there is, like it's not just a... It's, you never, as an audience member, go, wait, what if none of that shit actually happened? You know, you never go, what if this is a totally different, something totally new and different is going to happen? Yeah. Right? Like, because they pre-launch with these new characters going like, oh, wait, we're observing this from the outside. Why is there this little weird corner of the Matrix that there's a microcosm of everything that happened in the first film happening again, but with different actors playing it? it that was so convoluted and forced and just like, because it... It make it. It was never referenced in the original trilogy, so you're just like, wait, what? And they have yeah. to explain it to you, and you have to just believe it. And you're just like, I guess that was what happened, at, like towards the end of uh, Revolutions, and and the fact that he's still alive just like totally just demolishes any of like the impact that the characters had when they died in their in revolutions. The, the biggest problem ultimately with their whole plan here, which is a complicated plan. I mean, sure. full credit to coming up with something that was not like a basic bitch story. You were like really trying to out meta yourself here with it. Yeah. I'm like credit for trying, but the problem is that the core idea in the story doesn't work because they go, well, the computer realized that, um, we needed to have Neo and <laughs> is Trinity. This the, is this them actually explaining that? Uh, um, we needed to have so, Neo uh, and Trinity be alive for the Matrix to work, um, and but they can never know each other because if they do, then it all stops working. And there's never an explanation for why. No. You're like, they just go, because. <laughs> they, they just say because, and there was also another loose program that was like, who found that out and wanted to take advantage of it and he was a rogue program not agent smith who boy yeah, uh, that's a whole nother we could spend hours talking about everything that's weird decision making but here, like but. what i love what i appreciate and don't appreciate about, about this movie is that i appreciate that this is 
one of, and I, I believe this, I think this is the biggest fuck you to a studio because the, the whole reason why this all came about is because Warner Brothers like, oh, we need to, we need, we have this franchise, this uh, IP and we want to like do it again. And uh, they approached the Wachowskis like, hey, we're going to do this with or without you. And they were like, fuck you. Uh, we'll do this. And then, you know, Lana was like, okay, I'll do this. And I think honestly, she, she, what she ended up doing was carpet bombing the whole franchise. Like, all right, you thought you were going to do this fucking done. I mean, those scenes where they're like before, like Neo realizes any of this, but they're like brainstorming a brain uh, matrix sequel for the Our games. parent company. Warner brothers wants to do another sequel to the game. But what's ironic about it is that everything that they're talking about, the stuff that you, well, we can't do that because it's dumb. They just pretty much do, do it. And I'm like, that's why I think it's like the biggest fuck you to the studio is like, no, this was ours. And no one else can have this. And and again, that's what I think is oddly admirable about it is because okay. they didn't want anyone else to tamper with it and do whatever the fuck else they want to so do. So let's now, fucking bury it with the worst film in the series. No, totally. And like in a weird way, it's an odd flex and control uh, move. And like, okay, I guess. And like, guess. here's the thing. It 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 breeded a lot of people who actually like the movie, which is oh, they're um, uh, psychopaths and uh, and <laughs> that's uh, strong. I'm not oh, gonna no. go with you. Here, Mark. look, look, we disagree a lot, okay? And I I take some pretty hard swings and yeah, like that's a hard you swing. Know, fuck you, nerds and psychopaths who love Matrix Resurrections, <laughs> and that's a hard swing. Yeah. And so like it it does the have that audience. Of right, Zulek are not necessarily those <laughs> of one of us. Dot net. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I I'm glad that it was released in 4K. I it looks good. It looks I re- great. I did in fact rewatch it because I was mad that I was mad seeing it. Mad as hell. I was and like, not going to take God it. God damn it! I'm so upset that I fucking disliked this as much as I did. I hoped at least it would be better than the two sequels. I thought, well, it's not going to be as good as the original, but like, at least maybe it'll fix some of the stuff. And I just hated it so much more. And I realized, <laughs> like, a lot has happened since the original Matrix. There's been a lot of other people doing really fascinating things with yeah. sci-fi and oh, smart yeah. sci-fi. I mean, hell, this year alone, we got everything everywhere all at once, which, like, you know, this is a film that's like that kind of Matrix. The first time you see the Matrix, you're going, wow, this is game changer of a movie. Yeah. Uh, this, it's not that it's lazy. It just, it does. I, you're right, I think, right? And it, it goes... Fuck you. We're going to do it this way. There are points it's a little lazy towards the end, especially where it's a little like fan wish fulfillment, but in the most basic way. It's it, again, it a lot of it just it, I, to, to my point that they wanting to say fuck you is that a lot of the elements of the movie feel forced. All right, I am going to say, though, like they so they recast several roles in this film. Oh, but yeah. Most importantly for me in this context of my discussion, uh, Agent Smith different actor playing him kind of like they go, Oh, it's a, Oh, it's him. I mean, you can figure it out pretty early on watching this, but it's Jonathan Groff, which I know is not a name on the top of everybody's lips. Right. But it might well, I mean, be Hamilton. It might be soon. Uh, he plays King George and Hamilton, who yeah. is like one of the standout stars of that. Da, production. Da, 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 uh, I, that's my favorite song in the oh, whole it's great. fucking it's great. production. It's so great. And here he brings that energy and he, does. he is so much fun as agent Smith in this that I'm like, I kind of like you better (laughs) i will say it is embarrassing to say the least and it is so obnoxious and and just 
horribly miscast, I think, and just... I don't know. Why? Why? Why have Agent Smith to have the antithesis? But then again, you have to talk about like Trinity and Neo being these keys and then Agent Smith's here and then uh, Neil Patrick Harris's program is there. Like, what are we doing? And uh, like, he's only there to the end. It's like, uh, you thought you were the badass Neil Patrick Harris? I'm the real badass. I don't think so. That is the only reason why he is in this and it is the whole character is horrible. Poorly misused and embarrassing as fuck. In also, terms of plot, hasn't he died like three times. In terms of plot, I agree with you. Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. In terms of his performance, no, he's delightful. No, to me, I was like, oh my god, give me more of him playing he's characters so like that. So not threatening at all. But that's. I do like the aspect of the plot. That, and like, it makes he's no like, sense. He's got it. Like it makes no sense in the context of the other movies at all. Yeah. But like. Just, you go, okay, if you get rid of that and you take it for what it is, I'm like, he is having so much fun with this part. And mm. I kind of like the idea that he's like, he's the guy who's like, look, I I don't really hate you anymore. I'm kind of over it. But like, there's a bigger threat to me. And so if I need to, I'm going to come in and just do what I need to do. I I, I would have liked to have seen a scene where they just straight up team up and are just like that would have been cool. Do the more end of Mortal Kombat thing, like ha! <laughs> Sub Zero. Anyway, right. we can't spend forever on this, but okay. um, so a two disc release with uh, the Blu-ray and the 4K here, and the digital copy code. There, there's a bunch of like. I, I'm not going to call them EPKs because they're all like running between 10 and 30 minutes. But like there's a bunch of stuff here with like all the actors reflecting on the original trilogy and, and the, the actors. What those some all. cool times? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. It, it was OK. I kind of scanned through this stuff. I was like, eh. I, 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 like I, I said, I'm not even I liked it better the second time, but. Only in the sense that my expectations were super low this time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and watch it for what I did like. And (laughs) and it is a great 4K transfer. It looks terrific on a home. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, But yeah. I mean, if you're a hardcore fan, I mean, a lot of the the special feature stuff is is on YouTube. I probably already watched it before even this disc came out. I was like, oh, yeah, this thing. And uh, because, you know, again, it has... The Matrix holds a special place in my heart, the original one, and oddly enough, the other two do too. And uh, and I watched all of them again before the Resurrections even came out, just like kind of like I don't know, they they feel like kind of comforting. The the, the other two, you know, less so. Uh, but it was like, man, the first one, it was still it was such just a great like tour de force of filmmaking because it was still like hot off the, uh, the heels of like bound. And like, you see some of the stuff that they're doing in it and like they're really trying out a lot of different things. Yeah. Like the, just even shot composition. I mean, the thing is as much as didn't work in the first two sequels, uh, at least they were like, they were, you know, they were shooting for the fucking sky. They oh, were yeah. like, they're like, let's, we're going to throw, we're going to try everything. But that's the problem is if we make a film like the matrix, how do you follow that up? Right. And uh, well, it's called speed racer and, uh, yeah. which I genuinely love as well. I, I know lots of people who do. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I was just, I'd love to watch that in 4k. That would be amazing. 
Yeah. Just the the colors. No, and... I mean, it's it's a beautiful looking film. Oh, yeah. I just storyline wise got nothing from it. I was like, I'm just feeling nothing. This is just like, it's like watching someone else play the greatest video game ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a live play. Is yeah, what it that's is. true. That's true. Anyway, so we're going to move on to, hey, some martial arts films. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I keep right by the luck of the draw. keeps getting the martial arts stack. Yeah. Uh, like last show, you're like, you got the martial arts stack. And yeah. This, this week, you got it again with the most specifically 88 films who is... Like right now, I don't know what's going on with the contract for Shaw Brothers films, but like 88 films in Arrow are like in deep competition for like who can release the most uh, like really <laughs> super upgraded, great special editions, like uh, versions of these films, yeah. which have been left lying dormant. Like, I mean, I think the last release for most of these films, like DVD 20 years ago. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like shitty, barely fixed it up version. And and this is definitely my first uh, soiree with uh, Shaw Brothers because I've known about them for years and I'm not the biggest aficionado sure. with martial arts stuff and uh and it's it takes a minute for me to get into it and these movies again it took a, mi- a minute for well, me we're talking about two of them this week and yeah. we'll start with the first one which is legendary weapons of china <laughs> uh <laughs> well I, it's just i didn't know how literal the the, the title was going to be i thought i thought when when I first watched oh, it, it was it's like very literal it's very literal i just thought it was like oh they they're talking about the people they're the legendary weapons of china and uh, I'm like, oh, no, no, it's talking about the literal weapons of China. Yeah, literal legendary weapons of China. Like, this read, like, I remember, you know, we're going to go back to Dungeons and Dragons again. Yeah. They put out at one point, like, an Eastern Heroes edition, uh, like, book that was all like, well, if you want to do, like, a like a, a Far East, oh. like, story where, like, and have all the monsters that were, like, Chinese folklore, but it also had, like, this huge section that was all, like, you know, 17 pages of just weapons. And I was like... Oh, this brought me racing back to that where I was like, oh, this is all the shit that nobody used outside of China of like really weird, weirdly specific weapons that came out of this era. Uh, And to be fair, like although in this movie, largely these weapons were actual weapons and this is 1982 as things went on with Shaw brothers and martial arts films, people just started making shit up. It was kind of like a little bit before that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Like it happened with martial arts style too. Like people think a lot of stuff that is real is not actually real. It was made up by Shaw brothers studios to come up with like a lot of the animal style stuff is like, that's not a real thing. Right. Right. (laughs) Like a lot of the thing, a lot of the, the weapons in this movie, I was like, okay, I've seen that in, in movies, but also in like actual history books. I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen these things before. And this is a directed by Lau Kar Lung, who, is one of the most important people in the history of like martial arts films most un- unquestionably uh he did drunken master 2 which i still think oh, yeah. is one of the greatest martial arts films you're ever gonna see oh yeah i but, love that movie i mean it's so much fun it's so so terrific um but yeah i mean he even has been acknowledged by the the matrix and and specifically the directors of the matrix were like he's one of our biggest influences and, and and working on stuff and i think he was even to some degree called in to work on it i'm not entirely sure oh really what, what degree but oh, wow. i think he was at he was called in for resurrections yeah not for <laughs> he's dead so no oh. yeah <laughs> well that's not funny now <laughs> <laughs> anyway so like he was known for really he was one of the guys who kind of moved the shaw brothers and martial arts films away from wuxia films in the early days which was a lot more sword fighting everybody would have like i have a special magic ability into real fighting yeah so that's what i appreciate about both of these which we'll get to the the other one here soon but like i i i thought that it was going to be um 
more like mystical yeah. shit. And I was like, oh no, these are just like they're just badasses. Everyone's a badass, and they're just really good at great at you know martial arts and weaponry. And that's just what this is all about. Even though it took me about 25 minutes to understand what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it can be very complicated. And also, <sighs> can I say, the one thing I really can't stand about Shaw Brothers movies after a certain point is that all their opening credit sequences are like the thing with all the actors just doing a martial arts showcase. Yeah, the yeah, credits. it's both but of these. Like, but like, obviously, just on a studio set with like a curtain behind them. Yeah. And you're like, stop it. Just I don't want to watch them doing this without outside of the story. Just I, get to the fucking thing. That I, I thought it was supposed to be important, so I really paid attention. I was yeah. like, okay, is there something here? Not, it's like, oh, this is not. That's how they, there's a period where like every one of the movies does well, that. And then like, even after the first 20 minutes, which is like the most convoluted, like trying to understand what's going on and the relationships between characters. And then it just totally just like tosses it aside after 20 minutes. And like, we're going to go in a completely different area. I'm like, what the, what the fuck? And uh, it, it really took me a minute to understand what was going on in this one. Now, granted, I did end up liking it a lot uh, towards the end. It does. Um, wait, is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. This this one, it kind of ends abruptly. He's just like, oh, and yeah. we're done. I guess like, <laughs> stop, freeze frame. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, wait, what? I thought there was like, it felt like there's a lot more story yeah, to go it's on. It's one of the weird ones, one of the rarest ever, where like usually they come in, like the whole story happens, and you're like, now we kill the bad guy, and it's over. It, like, And they almost all these movies end the moment they end. They're just like, yeah. we did it, mission's over, end. Yeah. No epilogue, it's over period that's it and, yeah, and this is one of the rare ones where they're like eh, you're not worth it <laughs> yeah yeah they just gotta leave them alone at the end and uh, um i i i would it would be really interesting to talk about like what the actual plot is because it's oh i want to hear this go ahead oh fuck me okay <laughs> okay so okay this is oh, i feel bad it's 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 comp this is one of the more complicated ones okay okay no, okay, look, okay. At right. look i'm gonna look at the back of the, the blu-ray box <laughs> And that, I, that should do it. That, and no. I have Wikipedia up. I'm just like, oof. Okay. Okay. So there are, there are warring factions. Um, where this is the one where they're trying to make, um, their, uh, their members like, uh, in, uh, immune to bullets, right? Yeah. They, there's this theory that the, the, leader of this clan believes that if you have enough spirituality about yes, you as yes. a martial artist, you even being shot. Right work. Again. So they they're coming up with this plan, and it's actually uh uh Pai Ming uh that that actor from uh, Kill Bill, right? Pai Ming. Or, no, no. Um, what's the 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 guy with the the long beard? And he's also he plays a double role in the first movie where he's the the leader of the Crazy Eighty Eights. No, no, no. You're thinking of Gordon Lau. I don't. Yeah, think... he's in this one. He's the he's the one. He's the guy who's trying to train the dudes uh, to prepare for getting shot with bullets. That's the same. Yes, matter. no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That is the good thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing yeah, is, yeah, you're right. Gordon Liu, he's Teton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gordon Liu is trying to do this, but the thing is, like, they're still getting shot and like, oh fuck, it's not working. And uh, but the thing is, they know that this older guy who used to train and he was like one of the main leaders of the uh, of the clan, um, uh, is now somewhere. And so they yeah. they try he to hunt off. him down. He took off because he was like, I'm not having any truck with this thing. Well, because he's the like, there's thing. too many people getting killed, and I can't yeah. see my uh, students get killed like, anymore. I, the owner, the guy who runs this clan is wrong. Yeah. And I can't sit, stand by and be part of this. So right. I quit. Right. Uh, so then there's all these different people trying to hunt for this old guy who is a, a, the ultimate badass, and they all like uh, find him or tr think they found him in this little village. Yeah. And now, okay, this is where I was like, wait, why is this happening? Uh, that 
this old man who is uh, who was training students to you know uh, defend themselves against bullets. Uh, he also has a brother, which they're both mistaken for each other it, a few times. It does get confusing. Now, I I, I don't want this to come across as <laughs> uh, uh, mean or hopefully not racist, but I was not understanding what was the difference because there because that was i guess the point too is that they were both being um uh, uh misidentified as like each other yeah. and i was like wait what is happening and uh, i just i didn't understand what the fuck was going on it gets confusing it got but confusing fortunately the martial arts in this are really spectacular and fun oh the, yeah the actual use of the weapons which there's a scene towards the end where they literally go through every single one of these legendary That's like, weapons wasn't that China. like the last uh the fight scene the, yeah. between the two brothers yeah, where they're just like okay now one after another we're gonna get them in the screen even identifies yeah and i was kind of like this is kind of hokey but i'm down for it at this yeah. point now because it's just so off the it's rails kind of weirdly this is like one of the films like if you're starting off with like shaw brothers films is a good starter because kind of yeah because it goes here's what all these things are and what yeah. they were used for yeah and, yeah like, what the point of them is you're like oh this is kind of a like a setting you up but it also sets you up for the often just batshit weirdness of even the non-wusha stuff. We're like, this is a weird movie yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, interestingly, the guy who plays kind of the of the two assassins, one's a male, one's a female who is dressed up as a male, mm-hmm. like hiding herself. Lao Kar Wing was actually trained uh, under one of the major pupils of Wong Fei Hung, the actual like folk hero that something like 350 movies from China are based on, including drunken master once upon a time in China, like just tons of shit, like literally like the biggest folk hero of China. And Mm -hmm. like statistically, nobody's ever had more movies made about them than him, Mm. like by a sizable margin. That's interesting. He's the character in most movies. and, And that's partially because, during the pre, you know, way before Shaw Brothers in the early days of Hong Kong film studios, there was a whole series of films about him that was like 120 some films or something just with one really? actor playing him the whole time. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, like he's a guy, if you like Hong Kong movies, you like want, you know who Wong Fei Hung is. He's like the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, uh, and it's just kind of interesting. Like, oh, he actually has real sort of almost like royal lineage, if you will. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But yeah, this is fun. I had a good time with this. Like uh, the, the Shaw Brothers films that have been coming out lately and I've been watching so many, they can be a bit of a mixed bag you know usually a lot of times you're like this has one great scene in it and the rest of it is just kind of forgettable yeah but this is like kind of fun all the way through because of their goofy interaction between the two assassins the male and the female assassin who sent out is like they yeah, don't even the know male each other. assassin him just like he's like constantly getting sick like there's so many like oddly comedic moments in the movie too oh, yeah and uh and when like when they've discovered that she is actually a she a female and i was like yeah catch up buddy like we, we, i i just assumed that the entire time right and uh but like i forgot like, like oh they don't chick has a fake mustache are you ever like <laughs> oh i couldn't tell it's like jackie daytona it's like oh he takes his toothpick out you're like what oh my, oh god, my god you're laszlo I was like, yes it's me laszlo <laughs> and uh and so when they both discover, like, oh my gosh, uh, like I was like, okay, this is funny, but like also him just like almost perpetually dying the entire time. Yeah. Uh, but like 
the, yeah, there's a there's a lot of goofy moments, and I think that if because I feel like this might be one of my first Shaw Brother movies. Um, no, the last show we did, you did like two Shaw Brothers films. Oh, those were Shaw Brothers. Yeah. Oh, they were okay. Yeah. Well, this is my if third it was the seventies looking kung fu film, it was a Shaw Brothers. Movie, okay, well, by definition, then this. This might be a good like entryway. It, it is a good entry. Yeah, yeah. I agree. This is one of the of the two we're talking about. This is definitely the one I preferred. Yeah. Uh, it's it, and it was definitely treated as such with eighty eight films release. That's because weird. it had more bonus features. There's like eighteen weapons, which is a really informative piece, uh, featuring critic David West, who talks about a lot of the sort of weirdly meta parts of this. That you know, I mean, help. I thought more interesting. I saw more of them. Maybe you did. Cause I've seen so many more of these films. Yeah. Yeah. And I've watched probably, God, I must've seen six documentaries on the Shaw brothers films by now. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, I, like, no, like, I have I, not done that. This is like, I'm fetishy about this stuff, but like he, he talks about like, this is kind of like nodding and making fun of the history of like martial arts films on some level under the love, uh, under the, you know, it's like, you wouldn't know unless you know, but uh, huh. there, there's also a nice 2004 interview with Gordon Liu, who, as you pointed out, like a lot of modern audiences know from Kill Bill. Yeah. He has a very iconic performance in there. But, you know, he's also like was he was the star of some of the biggest films from Shaw Brothers history, like uh, Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, which is often one of their most seen films. Uh, he's the star of that one. But anyway, so uh, like he's in there. And also like it's this is it's 2004, but he's probably not going to be with us very much longer. He's had some serious health issues. So it's mm. kind of like, oh, it's cool to go back and look at this. Yeah. There's a producer, Titus Ho, looking at what his period working with the studio and then three different commentary tracks, which is, I feel like a little bit of overkill. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to get out of those. I, I did not watch one. <laughs> My favorite thing about this is the beautiful slip covers and the fact that all of the ones from 88 films come with like a cool fold out poster. Yeah. It's like, a pretty great, like, package altogether. Like yeah. The artwork is great. And I mean, it's so much more attention I ever would have expected that you would get yeah. to these early films. And it, it's oh, nice. Oh, yeah, the poster's awesome. I love that there's so much competition from all these companies. I, I do wish that they would start like <laughs> refocusing on more of the 80s and 90s stuff out of Hong Kong because that was kind of the period I grew up with watching these things. Like, I want to see the Ringo Lamb films given like the God treatment. And I want to see like all the crazy gently early stuff get given like, Oh, let's get into deep analysis. And yeah. weirdly criterion is the only person who company that's doing that right now. Yeah. Cause they put out that great police story, police story two set, which I I'm got still that like, one. How did you not think that police story three was an essential part of this collection? Because that's when did that the, one come out. I mean, it wasn't that long after two, but oh, okay. it's the best film of the entire series by like a. Is that Michelle Yeoh's? That, Michelle, that yeah. was her big. That was her, she had been in stuff before that, but that was her. Big the whole break. world went. Oh my god, who was that? That's unfortunate. I wish uh, that was on Criterion in that part of that package. Anyway, so the other film that eighty eight films put out was called The Flag of Iron, which is not the world's best title, to be fair here. No, and it's okay, but. Here's the thing we I've talked about this in previous uh, oh yeah this digital one. noises that uh, there's this group of actors called they they call the Venoms Mob because they were in a movie called the Five Deadly Venoms which is a really great wacky fucking martial arts film yeah like it's one of those ones that we were talking about earlier like they just invented animal shit like animal styles yeah yeah it's one that like <laughs> like some of the extras that came with that which I believe was in the uh, uh, the Shaw Scope arrow set it's mm. like they're just like I don't know they're like these meetings well we gotta come up with like what these what would centipede style look like and they're just making shit up and it's so much fun but that movie was so popular that these guys went on and worked together a lot and did a, a bunch of stuff anyway this 
is one of them, and this is one of the last ones they actually did together. I mean, mm-hmm. like Crippled Avengers, which is also in Shawscope um, uh, Volume 1, absolutely amazing with those guys. But they did a lot. We're, we're going to see more and more of these coming out here in America soon. Uh, for whatever reason, Germany has been punching out this shit lately more than America and England even has. Oh, really? Like putting out re-releases of this stuff. I, Germany is really into Shaw Brothers shit, I guess. Huh. Their, but, their DVD sets are there. I remember uh, Germany just has a completely different like distribution of uh, a lot of films. And I remember when I was in Germany years and years ago, they had a three-disc edition of The Pianist. Uh, and I was like, what the fuck? And it has like so much other like of special features. So they have completely different shit. Over oh there, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Which is crazy. No, they're really into the like home collection thing. The German. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this one, uh, there's this clan called the Iron Flag Clan because they use spears with flags as weapons, which you'll see a lot of in this period of Shaw Brothers films. Oh, yeah. In, in the early 80s. This is 1980. Uh, but uh, so they are totally murdered by this assassin that's been hired by the elder brother of another clan. All right. And, yes. And uh, and. Uh, from there, it got really confusing. Look, again, it <laughs> opens almost the exact same way where it's like 20 minutes in, you're introduced to all these characters and like, and it just goes away. But I did appreciate about this one, though. The costumes. The, the costumes are great, but also Amazing. the uh, there was actually like blood in it. And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, because like legend, legendary. Well, this is this because Chang Che is the director of this, and like it's funny. You the more you watch them, the more you know just by the director is what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Chang Che was the director of, uh, of these films. You're like, oh, if he's directing, it's gonna get really, really bloody. Yeah, and, I mean, it's like goofy blood, but like also yeah. they're like, oh, people are dying, and you see it, and it's it for the movie it's graphic i'm like okay well we're seeing some consequences of what's happening because the other movie is just like they get hit and like oh no and uh and this uh it's it's really it's it's about this like one guy who has to take the fall or something like that at the very beginning when like you know the their head guy gets killed and like one of the 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 dudes in the clan is like yeah. i'll step up and be the 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 head honcho and everyone else is like uh, it actually should be the main character of this movie, not you. And yeah, like, he, he goes, okay, I'm everybody blame me, and I'm just going to go away into the mountains and yeah. shit, right? And they're all like, the rest of the class is like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. But it never shows up, and he starts going, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. assassins show up to kill him, and he's like, hey. And of course, it and ends up being everyone like, is an assassin. Of course, it ends up being like the older brother from his clan was in on it the whole time. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Who's acting all like, no, you should totally be the leader of this clan. No, no. Knowing that he, because he's the actual good guy, is going to be like, I can't do that. He's I honorable, the, and he's honorable. like, I'm going to do this he's for gonna our be, family. I'm going to do it for the family, and yeah. then he'll be like, and hey, now I run this shit, which is quite clever of that asshole. The one thing I'll say is that this gets into some monkey style shit, and I love monkey style. Anytime there's monkey style, I'm just like, oh my god, I love monkey style to, to death. Yeah, like, it's yeah. so I mean it's ridiculous and not real sure but it's so much fun to watch yeah just, they just like, oh, oh, and they jump around like, like oh uh, and it, this one has that the, the badass uh, assassin guy who's like playing both sides kind of thing and he ends yeah. up trying to help him out it's like oh, okay I, I dug this one honestly a lot more than the other one did you really yeah because I thought it was just honestly it was a little bit more interesting I mean it's definitely way more violent and it is oh that's a why <laughs> and, 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 I, and the one thing I'll say is like it's kind of disco in the costumes and stuff like everything is very like much has been made in this movie of the fact that the costumes are so different than you usually see. Like all the clans have these like like you feel like you could they could be in the Warriors. 
you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Like it's, it's very like flamboyant, and, like big, and yeah. like all the characters. It, I felt like this was the type of martial arts movie that was like, okay, this is this is leaning heavy into like the ridiculousness of a few things. And but, I was like, I get, I I liked it. But that being said, like this is generally not considered as highly uh, by any stretch of the imagination as legendary weapons, and you can see that in the the extra features, which literally just says one commentary and that's it. It does. Oh, have, it doesn't have three. It, it does have once again the nice like huge big fold out poster. Oh, yeah. The, again, the packaging for both of these are badass. Which oh, is gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 88 Films is just kicking ass with these Shaw Brother movies. I want to see if they would like, you know, I mean, like there's so many companies now that are doing this like nostalgia releases and just fucking kicking ass like crazy from Arrow to Synapse yeah. to Severin to like, you know, whatever. Vinegar Syndrome Vinegar out Syndrome, there. Vinegar Syndrome, who uh, admittedly, they're ones like, oh, nobody else wants this. We'll do it. I mean, we're going to do it really good. But this movie sucks. <laughs> it's like, it, it'll be good on a trash in the can or something. I mean, the only people who take stuff even vinegar syndrome won't touch is like the was the one that Alamo was part of. The Austin, it's like the I, they they put out like bat pussy and shit like. That. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, AF something, GA or GA something, or something like yeah, that. They're yeah. like the bottom scrapings of the barrel. I have a few of their release. movies on, and, on Blu-ray. And yeah. it's like, yeah, y'all put together as best as you could for this movie that literally no one involved with wants it's, to admit they made. It's just fun that like that, um, that these companies are, cause you know, we're living in a day and age where we're, we're, I guess the only types of people that would still want physical media yeah. and, uh, and the, and everything else is streaming. And the fact that they're still doing these things for like very forgotten gems of like either martial artists or really bad porn, like that pussy. Dude, and, uh, who wants to watch that movie? I do. I own it. It's and so awful. I cannot wait to watch it on a latest episode of trash in the cans coming soon to a ears to near, near you. I, I literally like, they sent me a copy of it and I just fast forwarded through most of it. I was just like, I can't do this. I can't watch Did you this. fast forward to the good I, parts? I, I, do. <laughs> Look, I don't want to sound like Jojo the goat boy here, as Bill Hicks said, but I like porn. This is like if John Waters had just decided he was making porn with his hideously <laughs> ugly actors, yeah. Yeah. who would want to watch that? Well, we will on, oh on an After Dark episode. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> But it, yeah, it was fun. I liked it. Uh, I I dug it a lot more. It, was, it felt a bit more fast paced, and I thought it was it was fun with all the assassins coming out of nowhere. Like even like the pre- people that you're like, oh, they're not assassins. Oh, they are. Everyone's an assassin. Yeah, and there's like, oh, of course the the servers are assassins. They they're playing the long con for See, no reason. It's funny. I hadn't seen the trailer yet, but now talking about this, um, makes me excited for the new David Leach film coming out in a few months. Uh, the guy oh, who did John, who co-directed, mm-hmm. yeah, Bullet Train, where yeah. I'm like. That looks like this type of thing. We're like, it's oh, basically literally this movie. everyone is an assassin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there's been a lot of movies that did that. Well, yeah, like Smoking Aces. Let's not go back to Smoking Aces. Come on. I like Carnahan, but not that one. Okay. I oh, know it's really bad. So there are titles of films out there that <laughs> immediately make you go, oh, I got to see that. Oh. And this, you know, I mean, there's a, I mean, can you think of other ones that you're just like, oh my God, what a great title. I got to see like that. Bad Pussy, uh, oh God, the, the Gestapo's Last Orgy. Oh my God. Um, or, hold on. I'm, okay. I, I'm on a roll here. Neither, Showgirls. Neither one uh, of those. No, they're okay. not. That, that, that's not what I mean. Oh, that's that, we're on the same page no. about this. But I will say that back in the heyday of trauma films mm. run by, like, there was a heyday. Oh, most certainly there was okay. uh, a well. point where like people who were into transgressive cinema sure. were really like, uh, well, trauma is one of the only people putting stuff out like this right now. There yeah. was a brief period 
five or six years where trauma was like, everybody was like, Oh, I want to see the next trauma film because you never know what wacky bullshit thing you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. And generally they weren't great by any stretch of the imagination. Let's, let's get one thing straight here. Trauma is terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's their whole, like that's their whole mantra. That's their mantra is like, we make terrible films, but we make terrible films that are going to give you something you can't get anywhere else. You know? Yeah. You know, and some of them deliver on that. Like a toxic Avenger is, I remember first time I saw that, I was like, do I like trauma films? Cause (sighs) I kind of like toxic Avenger. This is like, it's a bad movie that you're like, I want to see it again, you sure. know, or, or, uh, uh, most importantly class of Newcomb high. I remember being right. a big one for me. I was like, this is so insane. It's a terrible movie on almost every level. And yet you, it just keeps reaching for like new crazy dumb shit to do that. You're like, Hey, full admiration for making a movie that is if anything, not dull at all. I mean, none of the movie. Well, oh, never mind. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, it, it feels like they're like these movies are like too, it, they feel like there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. But there's only one cook, and he's just schizophrenic. Right. And, and, like, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Well, the greatest title they ever came up with for any of their movies, and I think everyone agrees with this, is "Surf Nazis Must Die" because that makes you go immediately. What is that about? Yes. And this was coming out in you know a period where. You know, we were all really into like the dead Kennedys. I mean, this is nineteen eighty seven. We're like, oh man, this yeah. Is I was like, like, I was like three, was like, and I was like, I was really there, into there the was dead Kennedys. <laughs> I was seventeen, and I was really <laughs> into the dead. Ken- the closest I ever came to getting a tattoo uh-huh. was the DK symbol. Oh, really? Yeah, I came real close. I came to the point where the guy had the needle to my skin, and I went, which is like one of those things where people are doing with like India Inc. at home and type of stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I was a cool toddler, and I got the DK symbol like, on my butt right yeah, immediately. It's like, on your dick, me up. you know it. Anyway, but I was like big fan, like the idea, like, oh, yeah, surf Nazis must die, and it's from trauma. This is going to be amazing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I've seen a lot of trauma films. Uh-huh. This is their worst film. It is excruciatingly bad it's so bad and it's only 66 minutes and it no, feels like no way it feels like it's seven hours hold on wait no it's not oh no i'm sorry the director's cut which we have here is 83 minutes okay okay that i was about to say is like if this was 66 minutes this is the longest hour of my entire life taken away it is so long and part of the reason is because like what a great concept that they do absolutely nothing with correct i mean it's this faintly post-apocalyptic ish type film like the warriors where it's not apocalypse but like society is crumbling type which film. V- variety states on the back of the D- the blu-ray box it says a clockwork orange meets mad max on the beach by the way fuck you variety that is not what it that's is. not what it is who from variety said that uh, uh it's just it's, it's just uh someone named dot com and uh but trauma is right now like trying to get be relevant again for whatever reason. I'm not sure. It's, it's writing on the coattails of James Gunn because he's the most successful person from trauma. Right. And look, recently some shit came out about Lloyd Kaufman. We're like, wow, he's kind of a piece of shit. And, I, I, I do uh, not care. I like yeah. it's, you know, you, you could say a lot of things about like Roger Corman where he ended up producing. Or, yeah, but like, everybody get, loves Corman. Well, everyone loves Corman. Everybody but ever also, worked for them is like, oh man, Corman's great. I mean, yeah, well, he totally ripped us off and took advantage of our ship. But to be fair, like it was the only way this would 
you that you could make money doing. Yeah, this, but, but he ended up like producing uh, or him and himself not really producing it, but like some of the greatest like filmmakers of all time, like James Cameron, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, fucking uh, Jane, uh, James John- Cameron. James Cameron, uh, uh, Jonathan Demme, yeah. like all these people came from this and they got James Gunn, which he's great, but that is it. But this is not James Gunn or any of those people. This is somebody you never heard of called Peter George. Uh, the idea is the earthquake has left California in ruins. Uh, the beaches are chaos. There's a group of neo-Nazis sure. led by a guy named Adolf because of course, uh, <laughs> and his girlfriend is uh, Ava, yeah. and their other right hand man is Mingala. Yeah, and uh, and you say the the beaches are in chaos. Are they? Because there's still people like walking around, like going to the beach, and like, well, it's like because the gang... that's the whole thing is like they try and say that's how it is, but every shot is like really because no, because <laughs> yeah. there's only like. Five people in the Nazi surf gang. I mean, like, like, there's a couple random scenes where like there's like rival gangs, except they're basically just other surfers, with the exception of one group of like Japanese guys. They're trying to do like, oh, they're like samurai surfers, oh. which would have been cool if the whole movie was about that. Sure, but it's not. It's that, not. It's over very quickly. Now, and and so all that's going on, but the only even faintly interesting part of this really dull film Mm -hmm. is that there's a African-American oil well worker named Leroy. He's killed by the surf Nazis. That's not what's interesting, but his mother who's just called mama Mm -hmm. (laughs) is kind of awesome. She is. And she is totally a hyper exaggeration of a black exploitation female character. Yes. Right. And she just goes on this. I'm going to kill them all. So the last, 10 minutes or so of this film that that that's okay that is kind of fun okay that is extremely important to to notate is that the last 15 minutes of this movie is when the final the movie finally is like i guess we should you know make this interesting and um, something happened and like it is offensive this character obama is offensively underused because she's an offensive stereotype too but like I if I see that like trauma, I get what they're doing, and like that character is good and fun. The rest of it is grating as fuck, and the, uh, I didn't know that the original movie was only six six minutes because the director goes eighty three. Is like oh, I know where those other whatever minutes are the the packed in. It's because there are <sighs> interminable interminable moments in this movie when like there's like either a sex scene or someone's doing something, and like the transitions. Are people just surfing? And I cannot explain enough, but fuck you so much, Peter George, because to put that back into the movie that adds literally nothing yeah. to this film, it is just insanely bad and and so boring. Uh, J- Janet Maslin from the New York Times said, "Not even the actors' relatives will find this film interesting." <laughs> Which no, I that love is a, that that's quote. great because it is the the actors in it just are trying their damnedest. Like I know that's a thing in like trauma films where they're just like they're all like in the shit together. Like they're all in the World War One trenches, but they're all like boning and uh, and there's like a really uncomfortable sex scene. Just like oh I I don't like it when 
a sex scene in a low-budget movie is going to depths of like, oh, they should have been paid a lot more money to have their nipples bit. And uh, <laughs> and like, that's just uncomfortable. And it is like, I I honestly hope they were having sex in the background and it was consensual. I would like, give them points if the sex scenes were with attractive people, but they're not really sure. very attractive people. But at the same like, time, I mean, though, they're not just like, hideous or anything, but they're just so average. Well, it's like that's that. the trauma thing is that everyone's just like, everyone feels feels like they're dropout film students who like had a really like good idea in college and everyone's like no that is dog shit this is and dog. that's who trauma trauma is like, it's just basic these fucking people trauma puts out dog shit that's what they do but yeah. sometimes their dog shit is really good dog shit you know it's like <laughs> like like you know divine's like i'd eat that but like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but like the rest of the time, like you get like some stuff is just dull, and this is of, and I haven't seen everything by Trauma, but this is the worst, most boring thing I've seen. Christ, by them. and like I know the title makes you want to see it. Don't and, and, and the title Don't makes you it. want it to be good. Yeah, because it's so outlandish I was and crazy. Today it was like somebody could go just by the strength of the title and the legend that's only associated because of how good the title is yeah somebody could remake this and make a genuinely good movie out of it totally like, or like a bad good movie but a good bad movie you yeah know I yeah mean? i mean but this is just not one of those films it's boring as fuck i mean making blair is remaking uh toxic avenger and yeah. uh, and has some pretty good people behind him like I man love, i love making blair i love making blair he's he's amazing uh but god damn this movie is so just insanely boring you know what's and... even more insulting about this is that this edition is filled with like tons of extra features but they're almost all self-promotional devices for trauma oh and you know yeah. what what was uh the most offensive thing apart uh, about this is that <laughs> when okay and this is now i'm commenting about the actual physical media when you put in the blu-ray uh, the first thing that comes up is Lloyd Kaufman. Um, he it's during the pandemic, and he it, it's it, it's this forced bit, like you can't fast forward or skip the bit where he's in his house or it's like, like this has been so hard, and then he jumps in his swimming pool. Like, yeah, oh, I'm suffering so much, and, and I'm like, you can't, fuck you, you, dude, you can't skip it. And he's just talking, he's just doing a whole bit about like surf novices uh, must die. It's finally on Blu-ray, blah blah blah, and you, you can't do it. And like I immediately was like, I'm gonna fucking hate this movie so much. It's it's a minute and forty six seconds, and it feels like it's twenty minutes. It really oh my god! It was it was awful. I fucking hate this movie. Wait, there's a bunch of bonus features on here. Like I said, a bunch. This is packed with bonus features. It is, yeah. But over half of them are nothing but like older promos for how great trauma is and Ugh. selling like selling you on Lloyd Kaufman's whole thing. Which uh, I get it. What you're doing business wise for where you were, but. The whole like, oh, you can't trust the studios and the studios are terrible and you can only trust people like Trauma and us. Like uh, this is like in, intelligence insulting in a way that was funny for five seconds and then was like desperate and sad. I would love to see a biopic about him, but only written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, fair. Totally. And it would be incredible. Well, let's go on because I don't want to give Surf Nazis Must Die any more time than no, it deserves. No, thank you. Uh, and talk about a new Arrow release called Deadly Games. Now, here's the thing. There's another movie called, I believe, just Deadly Game that people might get confused. Sure. Uh, there was a film that was, uh, and I forget where it's from originally. It's not English, but was the influence for Home Alone. And this has been admitted. Yeah, that's the, by the, the writer. We That was on Joe Bob. He did that uh, uh, yeah. months ago. And... 
It was like um, dial. Uh, it had like four or five different. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. Dallas for Santa or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It was like Christmas horror film. Yeah, but it was like straight up like what if Home Alone was the movie that we all joke about it being now, where the the lead kid actually is kind of a psychopath. Yeah, and like oh, it's it's fun. It's not great, but it's fun. It's it's just weird. Deadly Games being released this 1982 slasher film is not that. <laughs> But I will say there were things about it that if you are one of those people, they're like, I want to see all the weird, bad, like forgotten slashers from the 80s. This is a bad, bad, bad movie. But there's a lot of stuff that you're like, part of the level, the the degree of badness here makes this kind of entertaining. It kind of was entertaining. Yeah. And and, and some like cast decisions. There's like stunt casting in this movie. Oh, is it really? Oh, well, by far. I mean, like uh, Dick Buckkiss. Uh, plays one of the characters in here was like a major football, pl- a professional football player and oh. sports commentator who right. plays a role in this. And then, of course, Steve Railsback, who is like, oh, yes, maybe Steve Railsback, the, the that's right, god of movies like this. Yeah, like every I think he's had like a he's had maybe two movies in his career that you're like, oh, that's genuinely a good movie that he appears in. Was it and Ed the, Gein? And the rest of his movies are all like. This is a terrible movie that you're strangely the best part about it. Like, and, and this is so genuinely interesting. He, he is yeah. the Joaquin Phoenix of his day. But uh, this is like starts like a tra- tra- traditional sl- uh, slasher. You see this girl named Linda. She's attacked by an intruder in her home with a ski mask. Uh, she dies after a, a pretty fun little sequence of fighting back that uh, I was like, this is kind of pre scream fighting back. Yeah. Because like, you know, in the old days, like the 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 person who's going to be killed never had a chance. Right. And here she's like, she kind of gets some shots in. Yeah. And like, oh, okay, cool. But her sister, uh, played uh, by Joanne Harris, who was kind of a sex symbol in her day. She uh, yeah. she she actually was uh, the the hottie in the 1971 original version of The Beguiled by Clint Eastwood. That's what I yeah I, I read about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she she is so. Fucking charismatic. Yeah, she's very charismatic. She's so and good. Fun. She's like she plays the independent woman when she's like she returns to her hometown and she like shows up at the like scene of the crime and the police officer at said uh, scene scene of the crime is like hey yeah, yeah like there's no journalists here get out and he's like treating her like shit. Uh, Roger played by Sam Groom, another actor that if you watch enough bad movies you're like okay I've seen him in a bunch of shit. And then, like, well, I'm actually the sister of them. And she, like, goes, okay, I mean, it's like if you've ever gone back to your hometown after 20 years and you run into all your old friends and they've, like, you know, they're still got their own shit going on, you know, and you're like, yeah, I don't want any part of this, but I guess I'm here. I'm going to be part of this. Well, it's getting in front of, like, they're townies now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, But they're all, like, super hot townies, you know? This is, can I say this? This is the first movie of a slasher movie that I really appreciated the idea that it was about, (laughs) it was about swingers. Like, everyone's a swinger. No, this, it, this it, has got that whole, like, yeah, they party. You party? Yeah, like, I party. Everyone is fucking each other. Even the killers! <laughs> Even the killers. Like, and, right, so you and want, people are married, you want, and they're you, swinging, and I'm like, well, good for you, movie. The, this the, is a new thing I have not seen before. The only reason you can't figure out who the killer is in this film is that you're like, if you're going by modern day standards of going, well, it's too obvious it's, that it's them, so it can't be them. It is them. Yeah, yeah and that's true. Like it's know, like, if, but the it, fact that it is the way it is, and that they both kind of like they there's 
This is like one director cut away from having a three-way scene with them and the main like final girl. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, there's it's a like, scene. It's like barely. Here. It's almost there. It, like, it's almost there, and it's also oddly like the scene when like uh, what's her face and uh, what's his face and uh, Steve Earle's back. Uh, I don't remember the names. Yeah. And um, Joanne Harris and Steve, uh, Sam Groom. It's St- Steve and Sam and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, Claire. Steve and Sam Joe Joe and um. Like them, like all getting buddy buddy together. I was kind of getting invested in it, uh, like more than I thought I would, because I thought it was going to be some. It's bullshit. a weird turn for the film. It's so weird. It's a really strange turn. Yeah, where you're like, what is happening right now? Because this is I I've watched hundreds and hundreds of bad '80s and '70s slashers. And this is something I have never seen happen before. No. I was like, what the fuck is I, going on right now? I genuinely now? thought it was going to be a thing where she <laughs> finds out like who the killers are. And then she was going to be like, oh, no, they're sympathetic, though. I was like, this would that would have been actually an even more interesting turn. But this is a movie that's ripe for a remake. This is another one. Where I'm it, like, it you could is. do a really solid, cool, fun remake of this if you stuck kind of close to the original story. Yes. If you kept it as a period piece. Yes. But you changed the fucking last 20 seconds of the film. God damn it. The ending of this movie was such like an... We ran out of film. It it ran out of film, edgelord, really weird thing. Just like you're edging out and you're like... "Ah!" And then it just ends. It It was totally a... There was just no more money, so I get this is where I guess we're going to cut it. I I, I I don't know if I've ever seen a movie like that where it's just seriously, like, and we literally ran out of movie. Yeah. Like it was just like there's literally no more film in the camera. We can't shoot anymore, and it ends in an odd place. Where we're like, are you fucking serious? It's the kind of movie you watch, you like out of obligation. And you go like, well, I'm going to watch all. If you're one of those people with like, I'm going to watch all the movies of the period. And you're like, I kind of bored. And you're checking your phone. And slowly you start going, wait, what? And some of the kills are interesting. Like some of the they, kills are actually there's kind of one interesting. Where, like, yeah. he, the killer kills someone by tying wire to their ankle underwater in a swimming pool and tying them to like the grate yeah. at the bottom. I'm like, I've never seen that before. I mean, they're, they're, that was again, cool. The, some of the kills are actually pretty interesting. And again, I, I can't stress this enough that the fact that it is, it's about swingers. And some, the killer is not getting laid and he, I'm assuming wants to be a part of that and he kills people. And I I find that actually kind of interesting that it was, that and and everyone was so open about it too. There were so many more opportunities to do more with it from today's context though. I'm like that setup, the way they have it, there's, and I don't want to get over spoilery, but like there's a lot that you could insert into the setup that would make it so much more interesting oh yeah yeah and this film is not prepared to do that but like you could read it into it i guess if you wanted to yeah yeah but i'm like this is a movie i'm like i kind of want some of the cool people working in hollywood they like you should see this and like think oh wow this actually is kind of a cool idea for a movie Mm -hmm. for a slasher film we could do something and make this so much better based on what's already there Mm -hmm. but i mean this isn't like a new classic or anything or an old classic that you should see no i mean this is really just for people who are trying to discover the minor gems 
of the slasher genre from this period. Yeah. It's a minor gem, and I will call it, go as far as saying that, only for people, this is your deal. It, it but is, you should see it. It is a pewter of gems out there. Uh, it's malleable, and you've seen it, and you're like, okay, this is useful. This audio commentary was something called The Hysteria Continues. I'm going to look that up right now. I assume that's a comedy group? I, yeah, yeah, I. Um, I, I, I did not watch the the special feature of this one. Uh, even though, like, out of all the ones we've, uh, we've it's a podcast. About, that's what it is. Okay, right. out of all the ones so far, this is getting like I mean, Miller's Crossing is great and all, but like this. Oh, really? Are you are you serious? Really? Anyway, the, uh, I'm what? Not, we'll fi- we'll finish this discussion when we get to the end of the oh podcast. My God, there's Sudi's a shit. Uh, in a funny interview with the actress uh, Jere Man, uh, Jere Ray Mansfeld. Uh, who, what are you having a stroke? I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Practical Magic, which is a piece with special effects and stunts coordinator John Eggett, who talks about his anecdotes about working on this film. And like I said, like it's not like a super gory film, but the gore that's there is kind of creatively done. I don't know. It's weird. Like this is a film. Like when I first finished it, I was like, Ugh, that was garbage. But the more I thought about, it, the more I was like, I don't know. It was. There was some stuff I actually it's liked fun. about that. It's fun. And like, you know, the, the, the kills and the, the, the nudity, like it's all there. Like if you're in for that, like eighties schlock slasher stuff, like this is not going to disappoint quite frankly. And, and except for the last like literal two seconds. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's kind of fun. So we're going to move on from stuff. That's like a mixed reaction or generally think thought of as a bad film to two films that are, really widely thought of as amazing classics. And, you know, one of the reasons I love doing digital noise and constantly bringing new people on to, onto it as well, right? Yeah. Is that one of the newer people that is, has been doing it. Is possibly being able the to, best person so far. Possibly. The possibly. Best person possibly. So far. I'm not going to, I'm not going to confirm because I don't want to piss anybody off. You know what? You know what? Here, here's the thing. I'll confirm. I'm the best person so far. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> but being able to introduce people to films that, they should have seen by now. Yes. Of like really great movies. Yes. And just that point where you sit back and like, like, like Mr. Burns. Excellent. And that's and why we're still talking about happens. deadly games. No, we're not. <laughs> but like going, when I handed an American werewolf in London on 4k to write, and he's like, Oh yeah, you know, I've never seen this. I don't think I've ever heard anyone in my life say to me about an American werewolf in London. Oh, you know what? I've never seen this, especially from you. I know. I was like, how have you never seen one of the greatest horror films ever made? I mean, one of the greatest horror comedies ever made specifically comedies. Yes. Uh, But like decidedly one of the best werewolf, if not the best werewolf movie ever made. So, okay. I'm going to say best werewolf movie ever made. I yes, I mean now I mean I I've seen my fair share of werewolf movies and honestly I'm not like really keen on werewolves anyway. Um if, if unless you're talking about Mystery Science Theater's uh Werewolf and uh which I love that movie. But um I it's like you know everyone has a blind spot. No one's ever seen every goddamn movie ever made and this is just well, one of those me, except, except for you because I've, I've been live for 20,000 years. You, exactly. I mean how could you have not seen every movie ever made? Yeah. 
Um, but this is one of those blind spots that it's, it's one of those things when I was going to like, uh, you know, hanging out with like a bu- bunch of film geeks back in my early twenties and my roommates like, don't mention you have not seen Citizen Kane yet. <laughs> and like, cause they'll just rip you apart. Well, kind of thing. rightfully so. And, uh, I still haven't seen it. And, uh, and so, Dude! well, it's not on digital noise. I haven't seen it. I have it on it's Criterion. It's fucking fantastic. I know I have it on Criterion and I and got you it. you own I still, it and you haven't watched it. I have not seen a few things that I own. Huh. Digital noise is taking a break now so I can beat the shit out of him. <laughs> you were the ones he warned me about. Which and I would probably lose because he's much younger than me and more spry. It's very so, true. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. But American Werewolf in London, I am so thankful to finally see this because it's one of those also the, the other movies I, like Citizen Kane were like, I know what happens. Like I, I know through like the cultural zeitgeist of like just knowing what's going on in the movie. And also I've seen clips. I've seen the, you know, the amazing clip of his transformation. Uh, amazing. I'm, I'm going to give you right now. I'm going to interrupt you right now because oh. I, I like married to a much younger person than myself. Yes. And she often has like, eh, you know I mean? Like, I feel like I uh, basically get out and you to see that for that same thing. Like I have the idea of the zeitgeist. I know everything that happens. I don't need to see it. You are so wrong. No, 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 Almost no, no. every time. Hold on one that. second. I'm not saying that I don't need to see no, it. No, no, no. I get that you're about to go to the correction point where you go like, Well, it's not oh. a correction. It's like, I, I, I I know the end game of the film, but like also I do understand like well I haven't seen it. Everything like, is about execution with the world's best it, exactly, yeah. and it's like I I I I know at some point it's like oh I need to see these things to put all of those things into context because there's only so many things you can see on like movietrailers.com or on you know movie clips on YouTube. You're just like and I got it. Like that's I, not I've the thing. Literally had people tell me I don't need to see it. I read the plot on Wikipedia. I've literally well, had people tell me I, that and feel like they were uniquely qualified to comment on it because of that. Well, and I was like, what? Well, okay. It's because, well, I don't agree with that at all. Now, granted, yeah. I do read a lot of Wikipedias even before I see the movie sometimes. And like, honestly, I just forget it. <laughs> and so like, luckily I have a really short uh, memory, but, um, what's my name? Uh, What's my name, bitch? Uh, Crass. That, That's all I got. I, look, I got we're, we're a couple hours in, and I've had a couple of drinks. Coming across you, but um, I am so genuinely thankful to finally, uh, forcefully to see this movie. Um, but uh, to see it now in in this later in life and appreciate the practical effects that uh, fully appreciate the practical effects because it's not just the, the transformation sequence, by the way. Yeah. But those are like, I can't say enough good things about that. Yeah. Uh, But now finally understanding like, Oh, this is like Woody Allen doing a horror movie. (laughs) I don't know about that. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty bantery and funny. I I would say it's like Albert Brooks doing a horror a horror film. Oh, that's a lot more appropriate. Like, yeah, I think that's which definitely isn't more to like do anything about like whatever horror people felt Woody Allen, but I definitely felt this more Brooks. Well, I, th- I what I what I really loved about it, like right out of the gates, was the the conversations between um, uh, what's his face and uh, the oh, other and actor. What's his face? And what's, <laughs> what's the other actor the other in actor? After Hours? Uh, no, you've got David Naughton and Griffin Dave- Dunn. Griffin Dunn, yeah. yeah. David Nunn, I, I don't know what else he's done. and um, But Griffin Dunn, I love Griffin Dunn. And uh, and so... He was in the Disney comedy Midnight Madness in 1980. Okay. I don't even know what that is for just a second, but like... Yeah. Well, he's the titular werewolf in London. But, um, and then uh, Griffin Dunn. And like their interaction, uh, like them just getting creeped out, like walking around the moors, which I, you know, I, I understand. And like, it's kind of creepy the way it's filmed. And John Landis, like it's just beautifully filmed and this is after or before I'm assuming it's after Blues Brothers right I 
think it's 1981. So, oh, man. So maybe uh, Blues Brothers is 1980. So maybe this is like right after Blues Brothers. Like maybe this guy. Yeah, this is right after. Yeah. Uh, he, he did Kentucky Fried Movie in 77. Yeah. Animal House in 78. Mm-hmm. Blues Brothers in 1980. American Wolf in London. Jesus Christ. He had an amazing fucking sequence of films. American Wolf in London uh, in 1981. Trading Places in 1983. Wow. Uh, and his magnum opus uh, uh, was it The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Man, that no, man, not, you could say that even, almost crashed and no, burned his not, career. Oh, my God. Well, no, and I'm only talking about the helicopter crash. Uh, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> Anyway, um, the point is, if you've never seen this and you're always, but if you're one of those annoying fucking people who's like, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to see it. That makes me not want to see it. Oh, I'm, I'm not like stop. that. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm yeah, not saying yeah. you are. I'm yeah. just I was about you, to say, it's like, wait, hold I'm on. I'm saying listeners wise, if you're one of those people, no, stop. If you're one of those people who are like, I know old people are always like, it's the greatest world translation, uh, transformation of all time. Look, I watch every werewolf film because mm. I live in hope that someday a, movie, a werewolf movie will be better than an American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple that like edged, like Dog Soldiers, mm. Ginger mm-hmm. Snaps. Mm-hmm. Like they're getting up there, but come on. This is the classic. What, I, and not just for those transformation scenes. I mean, overall, but the transformation scenes, the practical transformation scenes that are happening here and, and this- are st- startlingly amazing they're they're great and uh, and again the story is really good too it's like yeah. um it's very meta they it's, even talk about the original wolfman about like yeah. what was happening then and uh like just like you know things to look out for and then his relationship with griffin dunn who i mean i don't know how Dude, else to say is it the first meta horror film it might be it might be yeah. uh but like you know i i don't know if there's a spoiler you're like, let's just say something happens to griffin dunn early on and uh, and for him to be constantly throughout the film, like basically as ha- like this this side character who is constantly telling the main character like you should kill yourself because you're a werewolf, and he's like trying to come to terms with it. Actually, he is, and I like that aspect too. Is like he doesn't believe that he is just yet, and um, I don't know. I just like all of it was really a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a lot more dry, yeah. and um, it is genuinely pretty funny and. Um, yeah, I mean, just the the story in general is like just a really good idea. And then when it gets balls of the wall crazy towards the end, you're like, holy shit! Like, like they're fucking killing people because the practical effects is by Stan Winston, right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's what he won an Academy Award I think for. It's, I think it's I think it was Stan Winston. Yeah, yeah, um, but amazing, amazing, amazing practical effects and like the makeup special effects, like with some of the kills, was like holy the, the, shit fire. The, the shot where his like muzzle grows out of his mouth. Oh yeah. It's all practical. Maybe the single best practical shot I've ever seen in my entire life. That, but even like just the, uh, there's a, a really funny scene where he's, you know, seeing the people that he's killed as the werewolf. By the way, he is actually a werewolf. Um, and, uh, <laughs> where uh, wolf. Yeah. It's like, sorry. I even knew that and I haven't seen the movie. Um, but like he's in a theater talking to all the people he's killed and like, it's a genuinely like funny scene, but like just so morbid and crazy because uh, they're just gnarled to fucking pieces. It's and just, it's like, I love the fact that his, his buddy who dies in the beginning of the film, spoiler uh, Griffin Dunn. Is like just decaying. decaying every time he sees him. He gets worse and gorier and nastier, but he never stops. He's never scary. Yeah, he's like he's hey, always buddy. Just, he's co- it's British comedy. You yeah. know all yeah. the sequences where he's having these hallucinations of like like people who he's killed 
or because he's becoming this werewolf or that uh, with Griffin Dunn, they're played for laughs and they're yeah. really funny as fuck yeah. and also really gory as fuck. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 I guess if this is the first like meta horror movie, it, um, what I applaud about this more than anything is that it's what it's doing so perfectly well. It is easing an audience, a general audience who I'm assuming who had seen like, you know, either blues brothers or animal house into the idea to be comfortable with that kind of violence and how visceral and crazy it can look on yeah. screen. Yeah. And that is a very good thing that it can do because it's paved the way for a lot of filmmakers like Edgar Wright who can do these things. And you're like, cause you look at like Shaun of the dead or hot fuzz, even like when in hot fuzz, when, uh, what's his face, uh, like impales himself accidentally on like the tower. Right. Right. Uh, like, and it's like, that stuff is fucking horrifying. Way, if, hot fuzz, the best Edgar Wright film. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that is wild. So uh, like people don't know. Yeah. No, that you should know. Hot fuzz is the best one. The best one. And, um, but like he, what John Landis did is that he's just like, he paved the way for all these other filmmakers and he made it sensible. And he just, he landed that helicopter just right on the helipad and yeah. like nothing happened whatsoever. And it was perfectly done. I mean, this guy made a bunch people of films got what I just that said. are considered to be, you know, I got what you just said. This guy made a bunch of films that are considered to be masterpieces uh, of their genre that influenced everything that came after. Yeah. But to me personally, none of them are more important than this film. Now, I, I now finally putting into context, I agree, and I was a stupid one for not seeing it until now. And now I'm so happy that you got to. It's great. Noise. Yeah. It's fantastic. You owe me 50 bucks. All right. What? Wait. No, uh, oh, this show yeah, you costs money? The, you didn't read the contract. Fuck uh, me. Anyway, you, the one shame here is that, I mean, this is Arrow re-releasing. They put out a few years ago the, a really nice upgrade of it in uh, 1080 uh, on Blu-ray. This is the 4K version. So, okay. I did not, I watched some of the bonus features again because mm-hmm. I, they're the same bonus features from the previous one. Right, right. Uh, with just a few years ago. They're just basically repeating those here. I did not actually rewatch this on 4K because I've seen this movie like 30 times. I'm like, I know it by heart, right? I've been to the Slaughtered Lamb pub in uh, New York City. There's a Slaughtered Lamb pub oh, in New York really? City, which is designed, like, you go in and it's like, it's the pub from the movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you try to play, you're like, what is that a pentagram for? It was and cool, like, but it, weirdly, it smelled really bad. I don't know what that was about. I don't know what that smell was, but it was like, Jesus, what is that? And maybe it was just when I was there. I don't know. I was going to make a joke about Twilight Zone again. Yeah, fair enough. Right. But there's a lot of bonus features attached to this that are yeah. really, really good. And I think we reviewed the Blu-ray version when it came out before, so I'm not going to go all into it. But it's Arrow delivering just a giant stack of bonus features to go with this. That makes it, despite questionable, according to people who I've read online, 4K release, they're saying, it's not perfect. It could be better. I, I You know, I, I've seen... This this was the one out of the the lot that was 4K that um, it, I mean it was a lot more grainier than I wanted yeah, it to I be. I heard a lot of problems. See, all right, so there's a big argument with 4K release, especially right now, which is like there's a a, a process that removes grain. Yeah, and some companies just do it and don't pay too much attention. It makes everything look too soft and kind of almost plasticky. Yeah, right. And the other alternative is to like really barely run it 
and and trying to work color correction and stuff. But the thing is, when you're really certain films, and depending on the quality of the original, you have to like frame by frame the shit to get it to really do what you want yeah. you want it to do. And apparently, some people some people reviewing this have been saying that like yeah, there's some real issues here. Like no question, there are sequences that look better than they ever have before here on 4K. But there's some sequences there, like especially with I've heard some of the yellows in the which there are a lot of, especially in the first third. Yeah, uh, that like are they're a little too. The blacks are not really good. Like yeah. in the, the night scenes towards the very beginning when they're walking around, it's like God, this looks like I mean. Could be better. It, it could be better. It, it looks. It, it almost looks like DVD quality, where it's just like you could see the grain. And I, mean, uh, I hate to say it about an Arrow film, this might not be the ultimate edition that exists. It yeah. probably is still the best looking version. But I mean, I believe this comes with the Blu-ray as well, which I think is, from all reports, is really the better transfer. It's just it, it's but, just hard. I mean, unless you're going to put like a lot of money into like going like you said, like frame by frame, really yeah. like. Of converting this to make it look as good as possible in 4K, you have to spend the money, and like you know, you know, we love uh, Arrow and all, but like God only knows how much money they really had to put in to like get this up converted to 4K. They spent more money on Deadly Games. (laughs) (laughs) Those orgies and those swingers, we gotta get them on 4K. Spent no amount. You know, the, the packaging is great, and the extra features are. Ex- extensive, more extensive than anybody else has. I mean, this is the ultimate edition of it, no question. They spared no but expense. I wouldn't be surprised to see a better edition come out somewhere along the line. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Criterion, come on. This, this out of all of these, like, Criterion's that... going to put out an American horror film, which they have barely ever done. Like, if they put out horror films, are always from like Japan or Germany or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like if you're gonna do an American horror film. Come on. This, this is, is the first like step into it's it. Come on now, guys. Well, our last film here is a movie that I know that initially people, including me, had mixed but largely positive feelings about. And that's partially because of our expectations. Because a writer-director, Frank Darabont, had made, at, up to this point, the greatest Stephen King adaptation ever made. And maybe still the greatest, The Shawshank Redemption. Now, that's very possible. And it's funny, uh, when you gave me this movie that we're about to talk about, um, uh, the one of the first uh, digital noise that we did was uh, Shawshank. Yeah. I uh, was on that. And I was like, oh, shit. Now we're talking about The Green Mile. Yeah, we're talking about The Green Mile, which was his follow-up, his next Stephen King adaptation, which was the only Stephen King that was released episodically. Yeah. They put them out in tiny little chapter books that you read, which I was not, I was at the point where I was like, I'm not buying everything Stephen King puts out anymore. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Well, he releases like two books a year. Yeah, it was like like, fucking Spielberg in the 90s. Like like nothing against Stephen King, but like, I'm moving on. I I read it all. There was a point I was like, when I grew up, I was like, I read like 20 Stephen King books and now I'm going to take a break for like, I don't know, 30 years. (laughs) And he released 80 books. Yeah, (laughs) during that period. I've been catching up though. He, He has retired he he is like a pearl jam. He retires every other year, and then he's like, ah, that's that's it. And then he's like, ah, I gotta I gotta squat out like a couple more. So this is his pearl jam, whatever that album that started with a V. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, like I remember seeing this and going like, I mean, it's got Tom Hanks in it. I was like, and it got nominated Academy Awards, and I was like, you know, this is good, but I'm not sure I'm totally connecting with it. Mm. All right. So I watched it a few years back, five or six years ago, and went mm-hmm. like, oh, I like this so much better now that I don't have the same Shawshank expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this. 
now that it's out on 4K, I was like, I'm actually really looking forward to watching this again, partially because, I mean, like, the standout here, I feel like, was uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Who plays like the, David Morris, right? Who plays the, you know, the... He's not the lead role, but he is the third man of the movie. He's the guy who's like the what the whole movie's he, about. He's, he's the Green Mile. Yeah, he he's what the whole movie's about, but he doesn't get the most amount of screen time. Yeah, you know, he, he is like. Um, it's funny where um, I mean, he's dead now, so we're like go back in retrospect, like oh, it's so nice to watch him again. No, it, it totally is, and uh, like it's um he has a, like uh, the same amount of screen time as uh, Anthony Hopkins in in uh, Sounds of the Lambs. Right, right. It's like, like he's, that. he's like kind of barely in it, but like it's uh, the whole thing no, is about him. This is like a feel good Sounds of the Lambs, basically. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh like, my god! What if it turned out actually? The, what if it turned out that like fucking Hannibal Lecter was like the greatest guy in the world and give, God give and me your hand, him. Clarice. <laughs> exactly, like the, I can hear the, you. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's like this movie. That's what the Green <laughs> Mile is. Wow, I don't know if anyone's ever thought about that, but I'm glad we did. Uh, that is so fucked. Look, I'm not going to get deep into the plot here. It's a it's nineteen about a mile that's green. It's 1930s. It, it, it's a, a death row prison. They bring in this guy, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, uh, John Coffey, who's been accused of killing a small child, and he's on death row for that. Twins, two girls. Two, uh, yeah, Tom Hanks plays the warden supervisor here uh, of the thing, and he's right off the bat. You're like, he's a good guy, right? He's a he's a guy who want, feels like these guys are already gonna die. We shouldn't be here to make them suffer, and he's got like. People there who agree with him who work for him, like the great and deeply underappreciated David Morris, who's weirdly given the nickname Brutal, even though he's just a really good guy. He's just tall as fuck. He's just tall as fuck. Did I ever tell you that I know his son? What? No. Yes. So I've hung out with... uh, So little tangent real quick. Okay. So I actually, um, uh, through friends and friends... Um, we were hanging out with this other couple that was with my friends and we were on the, um, uh, the river We we'd love to float the river on like Memorial day or, you know, whatever. And, uh, we were talking to, uh, this, this guy named Ben and, um, and, but I, his last name was Morris and I was like, <laughs> and, uh, I joked, I was like, so like just to ask, cause uh, my good friend Matt and I were together. Like, what are the odds? This guy would one of the most common last names in the world. Right. But... <laughs> I was like, so is your dad like David Morris? And he's like, yeah. Uh, oh, you're like. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and uh, and then we just were on him like white on rice. We're like, holy shit, are you fucking? And and then we started putting together. Like, you look just like him. It's like, yeah, my my dad's David Morris. I was like, oh my god, and he's like tiny little dude. And David Morris is like oh, tall, he's as super fuck. tall. He is yeah. six four. Like he's a big. He's dude. one of those character actors who like whenever he's in anything, he's great. Oh, he's great. But he usually is playing like. You know, a side character. And here he's technically a side character, but he really gets a chance to shine. Well, because he's the right hand man of Paul right. Edgecombe, uh, played by Tom Hanks. And he is like his like good confidants. So, like anytime they're good to get, like be together and like, like all they got to do is give each other a look to like, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, oh, it's so fucking great to see them like. Uh, like take Percy in like the uh, the, the little uh, uh, padded Percy, room. Percy played by Doug Hutchinson, who turned out to be just as much of a villain in real life as he. What is are you talking the, about? He movies. is a genuinely good man He's that's never done piece anything of wrong. Human garbage. <laughs> and he played. He regularly played, but in this most notably, just the new guy who came in who is just a sadist piece of shit, and that everybody else, all the guards who are already there, are like. 
fuck this guy. Yeah, just uh, a fantastic Stephen King character. Yeah, just totally like, Stephen. Yeah, King. just. I mean, the other good guy is Barry Pepper, who also who can equally play a really good guy and a really bad guy, but here he's playing a really good guy. Yeah, you know. And then you have the people who are on death row, most notably the beloved Michael Jeter, oh. uh, who's just like so fantastic. God damn it! They're, like a, a lot of people know him best from uh, what's the one with Robin Williams that Terry Gilliam did. Um, oh. Uh, uh, oh, oh, Fisher King. Fisher King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played a big role in that. But yeah. he's, he was in a lot of stuff oh, yeah. before he died of AIDS. Yeah. And he's just a, a terrific character actor. And he's just, he's playing this guy from New Orleans and he's selling the accent. And he's just like, he has this whole thing where like he gets a pet mouse and it's Mr. So good. Mr. Jangles. It just fucking melt your heart. And then Sam Rockwell is like the breakout re- performance. The really early Rockwell performance where you're just like, I hate this guy so much that I would be willing to watch the actor. Die. Wow, Bill. Yeah. He's like, I no. He's, oh my God. He's so, I, it's an insanely great performance by him. And there's lots of other good actors in this. James Cromwell, roles. James Cromwell, Bonnie Hunt, uh, Patricia Clarkson, Harry Dean Stanton, William Sadler, Gary Sinise. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He's like a little cameo in this. So the thing is that this is, a little on the triacly side. I'm not going to deny it's not, but sure. it was weird that when I was younger, that part bothered me. Yeah. Now I watch this. I rewatch this because well, I bawled like a fucking infant. You're, you're older us. and like a little bit more sentimental, yeah. and uh, maybe. Like, and but like I genuinely love this from the get go. Like I, I've never not liked this movie, and wa- rewatching this again, I cried quite a bit i cried a lot and i mean like i know this i know everything that's gonna happen i know still like every point is just getting me i'm just like fuck i'm fucking weeping if you're not crying by the end of this movie when you know what the hell is going to happen with michael clark dunton's john coffee yeah and then what he chooses so great he what he chooses to do because he doesn't I'm not going to tear up uh, when he chooses not to have <laughs> the cloth right over here when he chooses not to have the cloth because he's afraid of the dark. Yeah, it is so great. And then Tom Hanks like shaking his hand because he know he's knows he's a great man. Like it is so beautifully filmed, beautifully acted like it is it, it, the the what he does in Shawshank is this like this brotherly and friendship love that you don't see in in a lot of movies in general, but also definitely in like, you could say like horror ish aspects of films and, and see this like fantastic dramatization of like this, this character who shouldn't have like, like this, but he believes in this character and you see his character development, uh, Tom Hanks wise. Um, and it just, it's so impactful. And like Frank Darabont, I don't, I, I, God, I, I wish he would do, I, I don't know what else, like. You guys made three of the best Stephen King adaptations. And I wish that, the, like. This, he, Shawshank, and The Mist. And The Mist. Uh, and, like, it's so unfortunate that yeah. Frank Darabont has not done something great since then. I, I mean, maybe, I, I genuinely like the, the first season of Walking Dead. But, uh, but I wish, I wish that he was given The Dark Tower. Because. Because that movie adaptation is dog God. shit fucking terrible total dog shit and if he was given that and everything that he understands about Stephen King and from action from like the mess and horrifying to like sentimental fantastic moments between characters and character development he 
is like the hero that Stephen King like needs and deserves. Now we got Mike Flanagan, which is great. Who's a, a totally different type of director, yeah. writer like, doing this, but yeah. he's, he is nailing it on a different level. He is. Uh, yeah. And it's working. It's working. Yeah. But like St- Frank Darabont is that gravitas yeah. that like you genuinely think that like, even though these like Green Mile is like a, an actual novel, like a serialized novel, oh. but like Shawshank was a short story and another thing. And, uh, and so like, to, for him to do this, like he understands the epic scale of like what Stephen King stories could be. He's more of a Capra director than anything else. Totally, yeah. And I think that's what hurt him with the Majestic when he made that. Where oh, it was like, yeah. you just tried to make a Capra film yeah, instead yeah. of bringing something else into it. Yeah. Because what works with him and Stephen King is that he's making Capra films that are have horror and dark other genre elements that Capra didn't do. Yeah. And that's why they work. The Majestic is just a Capra like ripoff. And, right. and you're like, this doesn't work because straight Capra films don't work anymore. Right. You know, like you, you have to add something else for that to work. Right. This still works. I know. I think that we need to reevaluate this film and go back and go, this is almost as good as the Shawshank Redemption. It's almost as good. as good, but it's almost as good. I think it's because um, it's, man, because of the one thing that you have to just like give into is the, um, is the science fiction element of this, that John Coffey has the shine, which is really well. And it's well done. And, but you have to give in to that, idea of the film and, and where Shawshank doesn't have that it's just yeah. straight up just like prison movie yeah. that's it that's there's no magic in the yeah, there's no magic this is the magic this, this is Stephen the, King magic one yeah this is Stephen King magic movie and so that's the one hurdle that you have to jump over for Green Mile which gives it like I mean, one th- notch th- that under and the cynicism of like the mystical magical negro uh, trope sure which yeah well, but to be, say, to be fair here I want you to ask yourself if that's a thing that bothers you mm-hmm. about wanting to like this film. Mm-hmm. Who else? Imagine a white actor playing this role. Mm-hmm. Who? 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 Who do you picture doing? As, <laughs> who do you picture doing as good a job in this role as Michael Clark Duncan did in this role? Because it's an astonishing performance. It is tied into the time. His color is not random. It it's is actually it's very specific. Yeah, to what was happening in the time and the way people react to things. It is. It is actually relevant. It's extremely relevant because it's it because of his race and his color yeah. that the reason why he's in prison to begin with. Yeah, and like because if they just like you know followed him, what's it called? Uh, facts. Uh, <laughs> like it. He wouldn't have been in prison. Yeah. And, uh, and then the fact that he's talking about, like, he doesn't want to live in this ugly world anymore. And, like, because people are so... going to make me tear up. Right. Right. Like, it's... it's, it's he's like, like, if you need to clear out your tear ducts, you have two choices. You can either just straight up eat scorpion peppers <laughs> or you can watch, watch the Green movie. Mile. Because <laughs> that's that speech right there. And, like, and then Tom Hanks's character understanding that, like, there's no other route to go because no one's going to believe in this this magical person who is just totally uh, everyone hates him because of his color. And then like, no one wants to believe in the facts of what actually what happened. Fact he's genuinely terrifying as a human being in terms of he's gigantic. He's huge. He's just huge. Huge, he's talking, he, dude. I think he was actually he might have been because I know that they were doing like forced perspective oh, stuff. To some extent, he is not as tall 
as an actor as he's presented as being yeah. in the movie. But I think he but, was probably just as tall as David Morris. But like right, they filmed yeah. it where like he's taller than David he's Morris. He's so big. I think yeah. like in the book he's supposed to be like six seven or something like yeah. that. Just but like, like you get that you never have a doubt of that in the film. This guy's gigantic, but you also never get the doubt that this guy is not the right the guy who did what they think it thought he did. Right. You know, he is like he is a child in an adult's body. Right. You know? And uh and what I really appreciate by uh, by the end of this is uh, this is the like little Stephen King thing is that um it, it definitely adds to the mythos of like what Stephen King was doing was that he was connecting all of his stories and like I'm glad that they did this they didn't ever, like you know overtly say that he had the shine yeah. um but I'm glad that they did that and then like Mike Flanagan taking the the, the shine itself and then bringing it on to everything else he's doing like with Doctor Sleep and it's sure. like holy shit. Or, or even, um, uh, wait, wait, was Percy Whitmore a Randall flag secretly? Do you think? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely is. Well, yeah, maybe a little, I don't the know. Parallel but, universe Randall flag. Well, no, maybe like the, not Randall flag, but like, uh, one of the henchmen in the stand yeah, where maybe he's one of the henchmen. Yeah. Uh, just like those kind of people, just yeah. like they're coerced by, or like, uh, or, uh, sedu- uh, seduced by the darkness. Right. And, uh, it's like, okay, I could see like him and like, and while Bill is just like one of those, like, like he's like the trash can man yeah and uh and so he's just like you just you don't know exactly what to expect out of him um but uh i i i love this movie love so this. much for for so many different reasons and here's the thing compared to like american werewolf in london let's talk about the like the actual media itself it genuinely looks fantastic the 4K in 4k transfer on this is so Fucking great amazing a lot of this is really black's with lights intersecting with it. Yes, you know, yes. like there's a lot of deep, darkly black scenes well, with lights, exploding light. Into that it. and like even and their costumes, like they're all wearing black uh, suits. Yeah. And like it all looks genuinely fantastic. Oh, Nothing is like bleeding over. Tremendous like, 4K transfer for this. Yeah. It just looks great. Now, I mean, on the downside, there's like the Blu-ray they include in this is, you know, for those of you who are like, well, I'm going to buy this because eventually I'll have a 4K thing. Like, the Blu-ray is the old Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. They did not upgrade the Blu-ray, which mm-hmm. a lot of these 4K things are like, okay, it is a new Blu-ray based on the transfer. It's just not going to be as good as the 4K version because you don't have a player of the TV. Right. That's not, this is just the old Blu-ray, yeah. right? And so here you've got the 4K disc that is all that and it is really is all that it looks fantastic with the audio commentary by frank darabont which is the same as the original one the blu-ray disc is just the last release but not even the diamond select version which had a feature length documentary about the making of this oh and what? they did not include that here instead it's like a very shorter version of it that's 25 minutes like Boo. the original is like an hour and 40 minutes. And oh like, shit. Really? Yeah, something like that. And I forget like, like this movie is three hours, like on the it's dot. Long, but you don't feel you it. Don't feel it. it goes you're when it's over. You're like, no, I want more. <laughs> Cause it's so dreading in the end. And yeah. Oh, and it ends on Mr. Jangle like, sleeping. I know, I know how it ends. And you just root for it to end differently. Yeah. Cause you just like want a happier ending, but it's still like one of those, like, but it's how it had to end. Yeah. You know? Ugh, I, I fucking loved it. It, it to, to see this again, I haven't seen it in years, and to see this on 4K for this, it was uh, it was a treat. It was a treat. Yeah. I'm so happy to, that I'm so happy that I didn't just go by my memories to review it. I was like, I'm gonna rewatch this bitch. Oh fucking A. I, I wanna see it in 4K. I was like, yeah, that was so worth it. Yeah. Well, let's go to what the hell is our pick of the week. Oh, 
because no. you know it's a hard pick because Miller's Crossing is such a great collection with brand new bonus features, stacks of brand new bonus features, and uh, uh, the first upgrade of it in years. And the '88 films ones are like both really solid martial arts films. And that Surf have come Nazis out. Must Let's Die, uh, wait, American wait, Werewolf wait. in London 4K, although it's just repeating the extra features from the few years beforehand version. Yeah. They're great extra features, even though the 4K transfer is not that great. But on the other hand, Green Miles got very little in the way of new bonus features and some degraded but the 4K ones. 4K transfer. But the 4K transfer is amazing. So it's kind of a hard pick this week, but I'm going to let you call it. Oh, fucking A. Are you yeah. serious? Okay. Well, no, I have to do enough of this with my wife. It's like anytime I'm like, do you want eggs or... <laughs> Or, or fucking oatmeal for breakfast. And she's like, I don't know, you decide. I'm like, no, you have to make choices sometimes. Thanks, honey. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh, man. You know, okay. No prevaricating, just pick something. Fucking pick something? Shit. Okay. I, I think overall, because of how great the movie is. You're going with the Green Mile? I'm going with the Green Mile. All right, fair enough. And, um, and mainly because of the 4K transfer. I think people have forgotten how good that movie really is. Yeah. Or I think it's a movie that takes more than one viewing to appreciate how good it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen uh, it numerous times, but yeah. like seeing it again, it was like, God damn, like there's a little, little things that I'm noticing now. And, uh, I'm waiting for some certain moments. Like my favorite character probably is to, to watch. Cause it's so heartbreaking. It's, what happens to him is Michael Jeter. Michael Jeter. By yeah. Far. And, yeah, um, yeah. and so like, but like nothing's better than seeing what like the comeuppance with Percy and yeah. uh, wild bill. And, um, just, like even seeing like the crazy magical moments between him and Patricia, Patricia Clarkson, like that whole scene. Yeah, I wish the bonus features were better, but yeah, it is a spectacular 4K upgrade. From it, the previous it's it's really great for like, what is truly a, a just a top notch movie. And and to judge it based on like the the physical media, what we're doing, yeah, like it's that a very close second with Miller's Crossing, yeah, very and then close. also a very close third with American Werewolf in London. Yeah. And uh, for that to be my first time to see it too, it's like okay, well, this is all pretty great, but like. The 4K transfer of that, that's where it knocks it down a couple notches. Yes, agreed. Well, thank you, right, for joining me. Well, thank so you, Chris. This, this has been great again. Yeah, it's been terrific. It's always it's, great. It's always great. It's we'll do the NPR thing. version yeah, of that. Like, like, hey. So this is Digital Noise. We've been joined mm. today by Chris Cox and Wright Sulak. It's been so We've terrific. watched a lot of great movies today. It's been fantastic. And it's going to be great it's the next time amazing. on Digital Noise. I'd like to... Uh, thanks out to a Japanese guy you've never heard of, an Italian guy you've never heard of, and a German guy you've never heard of for being just huge influences in uh, my poetry reading. And I, I would like to say, first off, that if you really like digital noise, you should uh, become a supporter and buy, and you get a tote bag. You don't actually get a tote you bag. You do not get a tote bag with subscribing to digital noise. So, right now, you're both lesbians, so... <laughs> Are we, are we not? I think we are. I like women and I've got boobs. Yeah, you definitely have boobs. Yeah. Yeah, those 20,000-year-old boobs. I feel good. Oh, my God. Come over. Give me your hand. <laughs>